Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody, just after 8 o'clock in the UK, this is Midweek Motorsport Series 13, episode 17. I'm John Hindhoff, uh, on a show that's uh, a little different this evening. Tim Gray not with us, he's on assignment, so everything coming in here, and I'm twiddling knobs and looking at all the computers, which is always a bit scary for me. We'll try and keep up to date with the social media as it comes in. Nick Damon joining us in the second hour of tonight's programme, real life getting in the we're there, he'll be talking F1 and all the stuff that we normally talk uh, about with uh, Nick. Uh, we've got a big announcement from Radio Show Limited. That's in the second hour tonight. And we'll also be talking the IMSA MBCSN deal. We've been asking you uh, all the early part of the week to tweet in your questions that you want answering. We've collated them and we'll be putting them to the man that knows, the man who's at the head of IMSA's broadcasting partnership operation. That's David Pettit, and that's in hour two of the show. So stay with us for that. Before that, we'll be previewing the IMSA return to mid-Ohio for the first time since 2012. Shea Adam will be on the line talking to us about that. Before all that, right now, in London, at Australia House, a brand-new automotive manufacturer is being unveiled to the world and their first car. Now, why is that important to us? For two reasons. One, because they have motorsport ambitions and big one, big ones at that, as you'll hear in a few moments' time. Secondly, because it's Brabham. And the BT62 is their first foray into the automotive world. Now, that's happening right now. So David can't be with us. But David Brabham did give us some time earlier on this week. We've respected the embargo, which was till a couple of minutes ago at 8 o'clock, so we can talk about this now. Uh, and David has cleared everything that it, you're about to hear. So with thanks to Brabham Automotive and to David Brabham, here it is, a world exclusive from earlier on this week, as David Brabham tells us exactly what's going on with Brabham Automotive and the BT62. And when I sat down with him over a cup of coffee in central London earlier this week, the first thing I asked him was... How's he feeling right about now? Yeah, I guess mixed emotions, to be honest with you. Um, incredibly excited, incredibly nervous. Um, obviously, it's a huge event coming up on, on Wednesday. It's been a couple of years of hard work, a lot of sacrifice by a lot of people. Um, and we've been able to keep it quiet for, for quite a long time as well. So. That's extraordinary yeah. that in... The high-tech, high-pressure world of the automotive and motorsport industries, a project like this, no one had a sniff of it. And, and I mean, has that even surprised you? Yeah, I think it, it probably has because, you know, we've been testing the vehicle 
it could have been leaked by anyone working on the track at the time uh, or any any of the partners. But, you know, everybody's done a fantastic job in, you know, well, they obviously signed uh, NDAs and so mm-hmm. they, they're not allowed to really talk about it and, and they respected that. So I think that shows you the quality of people that we've been working with as well. I think there's a maybe there's a respect for the name as well. Mm. Who knows? Um, but yeah, it is quite staggering. It's quite, and it's it's something that doesn't really happen these days. And it was deliberately done like that because we had to come out with a bang. Um, and the only way we were going to do that was surprise everybody with what we're doing. And I think the strategies definitely worked. Before we talk about the details of the car, it's stunning, and, and I'm fortunate enough to have, have seen the car moving in video form at least, and heard it as well, which is also an assault on the senses. Uh, let's talk about the genesis of Brabham Automotive. Uh, take ourselves back three or four years. All started, of course, when you guys got the rights to your own name back again and and that's just I mean we could sit and talk about that for an hour quite frankly I think most of our listeners know about that Mm -hmm. um you wanted to get that Brabham name back into into motorsport to start with now how how does this project sit with that yeah I mean if we kind of go back a bit I think it was 12 years ago I thought you know what am I going to do when I retire uh but there's such an opportunity with an iconic global name like Brabham in, in motorsport is surely we, I could do something that would bring it back to a kind of global stage didn't know what or how at that time um, and obviously you mentioned the court case so that was obviously part of the process of one getting the name back so I could actually do something with it um, and you know it's it's been you know a bit of a, a bit of a slog in, in many ways um, you know, we've had to do extra trademark protection around the world, and you know, they, all these things cost cost money, as you can imagine. Um, we launched Project Brabham, as you know, on the, on your show, mm. uh, which was a, a great success in terms of um, crowdfunding. With sports crowdfunding, don't normally do that well. We did mm. we did exceptionally well. We had sixty four countries contribute, three thousand people, um, and what that did is a number of things. It, it it made people in the world realize we want to do something, which was really, really important. Uh, it got a community behind us. Um, we said that we wanted to get a race team. We wanted to do engage people at a far deeper level that's out there with the fan driver engineer experience. And, of course, you know, we, we raised 300000 which was... Yeah, it's a good amount, but you know, when you need millions to go racing, it's it's only a drop in the ocean. So the the trick was always how do we get to that next level? Uh, is it is it through funding or is it through partnerships in other ways that we could we could do it? Um, and uh, I was introduced to this group that I'm working with now uh, through a mutual contact um, who saw their vision and saw my vision and suggested that we we should talk. And uh, we did that, and we looked at um, this particular type of project, where we could take it, how how it could influence certain other things that we were doing. And I could see it as a way also as a means of an end of getting a race team Mm. up and running. Because one of the problems we've had is, obviously, there's been no content because there's no team. Mm. I've got responsibility of the name. So whatever I do has to be pretty solid and have a have a bright future. So it's got to have 
got to have funding. It's got to have the right people involved, the right business sense. Um, I didn't want this to be a one-hit wonder and then all of a sudden there's no more money and, and it all falls apart. Um, so I had to make sure I found the right partners um, to do that and definitely have, have done that with Brabham Automotive. Mm. And um, what we're going to do in relation to Project Brabham, because there'll be a lot of people going, well, hang on a minute, we've heard about Brabham Automotive, we've put all our money into mm. Project Brabham, and, you know, I get that, I, it... it we could. We don't want to confuse people to say this is Project Brabham because it's not. It's a completely separate right. organisation. Uh, but at the same time, it's an organisation that needs to go racing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is our goal. And uh, Le Mans is firmly in our sights. So um, the wheels are in motion for that. The wheels are in motion talking to technical partners about uh, what we can do for Project Brabham in terms of building a digital platform. Mm-hmm. We will be testing vehicles. We'll be progressing with the business, working towards a race team. So we'll be able to start to provide content, yeah. which is, a, you know, when, when you think about it, to have a manufacturer behind a race team is, as you know, so, so important. Yes. We've now managed to do both yes. in three and a half years. Yes. You know what I mean? So um, I haven't been sitting there doing nothing well, I know that. No, I know. I know how many meetings you were going to for in the oh, early God. days of, yeah, yeah. of Project Brabham uh, as well. So the status of Project Brabham, and, and I don't want to gloss over that no, because you're finish, right. Let me finish. Yeah. yeah, let me finish. I haven't quite finished. So, um, you know, the idea is to engage the community with yeah. that content and, and actually help us to develop what that platform will look like right. when we get the race team up and running. Um, now, everything's not going to happen all at once. This, there's there's a process to go through and it's going to take time. The good news, something is happening. Mm-hmm. Something not only is happening, but it's really exciting. You know, we're like I said, we're, our goal is to go racing. Goal is to go to Le Mans and do it in a Brabham. I mean, you know, that's pretty amazing. And you know, the everybody who contributed to Project Project Brabham, um, you know, has really got an ownership of a bit of history there because you know they helped wave the flag to say hey Brabham want to do something and that's where other other conversations were coming along um, not just this project we, we've had a lot of approaches from other people wanting to do something with the name yeah um, but of course you know are they the right partners are yeah. they going to get us to where we really want to get to I mean the amount of meetings and head scratching you end up doing is is a lot you know and and you kind of got to you know for me it was more about um gut feel and common sense yeah. because I didn't have the experience of having all these types of meetings or going into the city trying to raise money you know that that in itself is a completely different world and welcome and, to the shark tank well yeah exactly and they think very differently to to the rest of the people mm-hmm. you know because it's very easy to assume oh they're wealthy it can't be a problem it just doesn't work like that you know what I mean it just simply doesn't work like that but what was important, like I said, was for me to, to, to find the right partners to take Brabham forward. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I've, I've definitely done that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we share the same vision. Um, the automotive group, obviously racing is, is going to be part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and Project Brabham will be a part of that race team as we move forward. So um, I think it's great. Watch this space. It is, it's what, just, just one question before we move on to the, the nuts and bolts. Um, and the electronics, as they tend to be nowadays, of the new car. Yeah. 
Do you think Brabham Automotive and the BT62 could have happened without Project Brabham? I mean, people who are listening supported that at the moment. How important was that, do you think, to get people to take Brabham and Project Brabham and you seriously? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I don't think we can roll back the time um, and really know that answer correctly, other than everything contributes to something down the Mm. road. Um, and you, ha- even if it was a small part of it, mm. it was still an important part of it. You know what I mean? So, like I said, it, it made people aware that we wanted to do something. Mm-hmm. You know, and crowdfunding, obviously, that's a campaign that's been and gone. Yeah. Um, and it was seed money to, to kind of get the ball rolling. Um, it's It wasn't designed to raise enough money to have a race team and and let's keep going it was never going to do that we knew that um but it did like i said it it did make the world aware that brabham wants to do something and and like i said before anybody contributing to to project brabham helped in that process the definite goal still to go racing as you've heard from david brabham let's talk about the excitement of the brabham bt62 from brabham automotive it looks it sounds, and I'm sure it smells, like a racing car. It's, as it stands at the moment, um, it's a, a car that will be sold to some very high-end customers. Tell me about the concept of this car, first of all, and then we'll develop the idea of where some of our listeners might see it and where racing fits into it. But the concept, first of all. Yeah, sure. I mean, obviously, you've got to build a business. Um, and we set out to try and build a high-performance track car with, you know, Brabham's racing DNA infused in it. Um, it's it's designed to um, for individuals who want to test themselves, want to push them to the limit. Um, we can help them with that, um, and they can be rewarded through that program and uh, you know this car is is a challenge it's a is a challenging car and we we set it at that benchmark it needed to be quicker than your um your current breed of gt cars your gt racing cars uh so it is it is quite quite quick in terms of its performance so we're in hypercar territory here there are manufacturers much bigger than brabham automotive who are in this area as well we think of uh, vulcan and valkyrie from aston martin is is that where we are in the kind of step ladder of of performance well put it this way we when we when we actually sat back and said okay what kind of car are we going to do um as you know, how many cars I've driven over the years. <laughs> I mean, you know, I've driven quite a lot. From, it's a long list. It's a long list. You know, your, your, your GT cars, your GT3, um, your GT2, your GT1, you know, your LMP2, your LMP1, your touring cars, mm-hmm. your single-seaters, mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, we didn't specifically kind of look at a particular car in the market and say that's kind of what we're right. aiming for. It was, this is what I want when I get in the car and be in a racetrack. This is the kind of car I want. And, and for me, it was between a kind of GT1 mm-hmm. that I used to drive and, and a prototype. It yeah. was kind of in, in, in that range. So in terms of comparisons, that's for other people to compare. That's not our job. So you know, this is the car we wanted to drive, uh, I wanted to drive, we wanted to build. It's Brabham being Brabham. We went out there, we thought about it, we backed ourselves, we got it done, and we're here. Bang. The raw stats are extraordinary, though. 54 
V8 Brabham engine producing 700 horsepower. That's adequate, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's great. I mean, <laughs> and yeah. it weighs what? Yeah, well, it's one of our criteria was to to make it under a thousand kilos. Yeah. So uh, dry weight, it's nine seven one, which which is phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's that's a decent power to weight ratio in anybody's language. It's carbon fiber bodywork on a uh, very high tech, effectively a framework underneath that. Yeah, it's um, you know, it's a lightweight metallic tubular structure. Um, the the whole the whole architecture. Uh, obviously includes carbon wrap because there's a mm. lot of carbon in, involved as well. Um, but our, as our goal was endurance racing, as our goal is Le Mans, we need to be in line with some of that architecture of how we can do that in the future right. as well. So um, you, th- th- there's method in the madness as such, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, all underneath, double wishbone suspension, it's, it's pure bed racing car underneath. This is not a modified road car this is a car that is track yeah not track focused designed for the track absolutely it's totally designed for the track yeah. um and you know if you're going to going to build a car like that you may as well build it for the track yeah uh using all our experience and all our partners um who who are involved in in the sport that know how to put these things together um in terms of electronic aids, how much are your customers going to be able to turn on or turn off? Or is it going to be backside, right foot and two hands? Well, we got we do have traction control, um, which uh, obviously can be turned up or turned down. Mm-hmm. Uh, Just we, like the current brand, um, GT3, GT4 cars? Yeah. 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 Um, and also we've actually got uh, carbon-carbon brakes. So it stops pretty well, and, and they're ABS. Right, okay. Yeah. So there's, there's plenty there to keep people on the track and not fire them off with that 700-horsepower V8 pushing them along. It is a mid-engine car. That's another thing we should say. Almost essential nowadays, I would have thought, to get that balance right, particularly in a car with the kind of performance we're talking about here with the BT62. Uh, absolutely. I mean, you know, we, we, we had to produce a car that had performance, but also durability as endurance racing was actually, you know, it's in our mind. So um, the, the, the balance between that is, is what we've got right here. Yeah, the Brabham BT62, is a, it's a stunning car. You've seen, mm-hmm. you, 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 you've seen, it's a, it's a beautiful looking car. It's got a lot of performance. Um, you know, we're going to be doing the, the Driver Academy program to, to get people up to the level to be able to enjoy it and push themselves and be rewarded. Let's talk about that in a moment. I'll just remind everyone you're listening to RS1 on a Wednesday night. This is Midweek Motorsport. I'm John Hindorf. Uh, and still to come, we'll have all of our usual features. Of course, Nick Damon will be joining me as well to talk Formula One from the weekend. But for the moment, we're talking with David Brabham about the BT62. And right now, in London, that car is being unveiled to the world. We're sitting a few days in advance here with David. So again, thank you for the trust that has been shown once again to Midweek Motorsport. David, all the way through this chat that we're having here, you're talking about endurance racing, endurance racing. Now, this car as it stands at the moment isn't eligible for anything. So where do the plans go? I suppose I should ask you, when are we going to see the first customer cars? What's the timeline? And how does that translate into endurance racing in the future? Well, in terms of this particular vehicle, um, it, it's designed, obviously, as we said, it, it's, it's for track purposes. Um, it's not designed to 
competition as such. It's it's for individuals to get on track and and test themselves and, and drive a BT62 and be part of our history and our heritage. Uh, it, it Obviously, as things evolve, you've got to look at the next variant car mm-hmm. and then the next one. Mm-hmm. And we've already got those plans in place. And, uh, yeah, so um, the obviously when you get into the next variant cars, that's going to be much more tailored to where a race program sits in terms of a race vehicle, yeah. And you talked about, I'll come back and develop that in a moment, but before I forget, because I'm getting old, um, the Driver Academy. Now, this is something that is uh, not unheard of, but this is a different take on it. These are, the BT62, a very, very exciting, very performance-orientated car. You want people to enjoy it, but you want them to do it safely. Tell us about the Driver Academy. I've worked with you on all kinds of driving academies in the past for up-and-coming young drivers. Mm. These are different type of people, though. They are, although a lot of the principles do remain the same. Um, you know, I, I ran the Young Driver Development Program for the MSA for six years. Uh, I, I know how to deal with the, the young drivers, There's for sh- that's for sure. And I've worked with drivers who are uh, sort of pro-ams as yeah. well. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we'll put a fairly fundamental program together. So we need to understand what their capabilities are first, so we need to see that on track and, and work with them. Um, and then once we've established that, we start to learn how we can progress them up to, towards driving the car. And, and actually, you know, we don't want someone to get in there and scare themselves. Mm-hmm. We want them to go in there with confidence. Um, and enjoy it. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, and the car is there to be enjoyed. There's no doubt about it. Um, and, you know, it's it's not been designed where it's stupid, stupid fast because that's that that's just not going to work. Uh, but it's fast enough to to challenge people and, and those people who buy these cars will be people who like to have a challenge. The video that I've seen already, the car looks a very stable platform and that's key to what you're talking about there. It's also aerodynamically pretty efficient and even for a GT car though it has some aerodynamic qualities so that's something that most people jumping into a track car unless they've done single seaters they won't be used to so there's an element of learning there as well yeah for sure Um, you know the car's got some very good aerodynamics it's got like 1200 pounds of downforce so um, it's it's pretty it's pretty planted um, you know the, the the shape. You know you're always fighting against what the aerodynamicist wants and what the stylist wants. You know, so have you had to referee a few of those <laughs> well, conversations? Yeah, no, it's been an interesting one, but I think if as you've seen the car, I think we've actually hit a really good balance yeah. between function and form. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know that was that was really poor because it really had to look good. It had to look something slightly different to everything else which i think it does uh when when people see this car and see the next variants they'll see all the design cues that will follow on all the way through to the next variants um there's so many things you have to think about when you kind of build something and how then it does it move forward into Mm -hmm. the next one and then into the the next one one. yes exactly you know so um it's, you know, I'm just super excited to be sitting here talking to you about it. You know? I can tell. I can tell. Big smile on the face from David Brabham was you're talking about the BT62. You're a car manufacturer now, David, and, and those decisions that you're talking about um, are being planned and thought about for years down the line. Um, as for the BT62, what's the production schedule and the timeline for that car? When can people order one when are they likely to get one 
Yeah, I mean, uh, well, you know, um, we're what about all... now? Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, we we've deliberately held off talking to people because it, there wasn't enough buzz about what we're doing because no one knew what we were doing. So, to to go to customers, potential customers, about this vehicle, we had to wait till about now to start talking to them because there's a real buzz about what's going on. Mm. You know, we've we've put out some teasers. People have seen it. Um, we're getting inquiries quite a lot now. Yeah, well. exactly. So, you know, that side of it's working really well. And, you know, we've we've produced this one. We've got another one as well built um, for, for testing purposes as well. Uh, and production will start straight away. So we've got the facility. We've got the infrastructure. Um, as soon as those orders come in, you know, seven to twelve, uh, seven to ten months, you'll the customer will receive okay. the car. Yeah. And where is the car being built? Is there somewhere that is going to have Brabham Automotive over the door? And if so, where where will that be? Yeah. Well, this is the this is the interesting one because um, you know a lot of people are tr- uh, uh, assuming that that the car is built here in the UK, but it's not. It's actually an Australian built car. Uh, it's uh, out of South Australia. So the, the the manufacturing of the vehicle will will happen there. We've got offices here and and in in in, um, uh, in Australia. So you know it's a it's a global kind of operation, mm-hmm. uh, but the actual manufacturing of the vehicle will come out of um, South Australia, which is part of the reason why the event is at Australia House. It's not just because, obviously, my dad was Australian and I, I grew up in Australia. And You've uh, been to Australia quite a lot lately, I can tell, because your accent is stronger. And I, I would have guessed that even before we talked about this. Well, you probably would have noticed, I don't know, maybe you didn't, if you'd noticed my Twitter or, or, or social media went quite quiet for a while. <laughs> there was a very good reason, because I wasn't going to say, hey, I'm off to another trip to Australia. You know what I mean? It's just... Wasn't go- I just had to keep really quiet, you know, uh, while this process was happening. You do realise then that that being the case, that the only car manufactured in Australia now is your Brabham BT sixty two. There's no indigenous Australian manufacturer since the end of last year, since Holden rolled the last Commodore right. off the line. That's right. I mean, that's that's part of the reason this is this has happened as well. Because uh, the, the group that I'm involved in are involved in advanced manufacturing. They were a tier one supplier to to Holden. Mm-hmm. Um, they obviously knew that this was happening some time ago. Mm-hmm. And it, normally, in situations like this, if you're a positive, outlooking group, you see opportunity. Um, and so that's where the opportunity came to starting to diversify into other industries mm-hmm. and in automotive being continuing with automotive obviously because they were already involved um so it, it it just opened up opportunities there's so much uh skilled works workforce mm-hmm. there uh that have been slightly left high and dry yes really um and you and know, in the supply industry as well as you as you point out a- a- absolutely so for, for you know for us it's a great story i mean we've just gone smack straight back in there and mm-hmm. saying right well we'll do it you know we will we're obviously not going to be mass-produced in a situation like Holden or Ford or anything like that. But, you know, we're going to be niche. We, we can – because of the what we're doing, the way we're doing it, um, it, uh, it it gives us really good footing and, and foundation to, to, to be what Brabham did back in the 40s and 50s, mm-hmm. you know, starting off in Australia and, and yeah. taking on the rest of the world. And, and that's no different to what we're doing now. 
it's very exciting, really very exciting. The, the BT62 is never going to be a, what's called a series production car, a mass-produced car. But is it a limited edition, or will you build as many as people want to buy? No, I think this is the, the really cool thing about the project. Uh, you know, we are celebrating 70 years of Brabham this year. So 1948, when my dad actually um, built a car, which was the midget, to go racing. That midget is at the function right. on Wednesday, um, which is very, very cool. Uh, so that's what we're kind of, we're celebrating 70 years. So we're building 70 cars. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah? Yeah, yeah. So i uh, just double-checking what I can say. <laughs> what I can't say here. <laughs> so, um, you know, we are, we are, within that 70, we are celebrating 35 Grand Prix wins. Yeah. So each vehicle... Uh, will be a celebration of that Grand Prix victory. Right. So the colour, the, the look and feel, the fit, the, the uh, livery of the vehicle mm-hmm. will be of the same livery of, of, of cool. that of who won that uh, Grand Prix. Uh, so on the night uh, will be uh, a celebration of Jack's win, so chassis number three, so win number three, mm-hmm. uh, which is the French Grand Prix at Reims. Mm-hmm. So it's where he won uh, that race and became the first driver to win a Grand Prix in a car of his own construction. Um, and, you know, you, you've seen the livery yes. with the picture. Yes. Uh, you know, it's got the same number, uh, number 12, which is on the on the side of the car, which is the number that he won the race in. So, you know, and the little That's chassis good. plate gives you the information about the race and, and so forth. So there are actually 35 very individual. Yes. And that individualism will go through to the next 35 where the car remains the same but um, what we call a signature series. So so customers can put their own kind of signature and livery on it, looking back at our history mm-hmm. of 70 years and saying, I'd like to celebrate that event. How can we livery it up yeah, to you. celebrate that? That's very cool. Yeah, yeah. That's very cool indeed. Um, uh, not for the faint-hearted, the price list here. I mean, it's un- unlikely that um, I'm ever going to be able to uh, um, afford one. But in the big scheme of things, the price nowadays is for what is a hand-built track car. Is actually, and I, I say this, I can't believe I'm saying this, but you know what I'm going to say. It's actually, it's right in the ballpark, isn't it? Uh, what is it, 1.7? What, pounds? Yeah. No. What? One. One. One million. See, there you go. Yeah, it depends on the upgrades as, as well, you know, the option pack and stuff like that. I think um, you know, a lot of people are wanting to go for, for more carbon on, on the yep. car as well, so that, that raises up the, the price a bit. I think it's like 1.1. 1. 1. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you look at what's out there in terms of the performance, not that we sort of deliberately did that. Like I said, it's like, no, here's no, no. the car. This is what we want to build. This is what we're going to do. Obviously, there's a lot of research into to what price that should be within yeah. the market. Um, and I think it's competitively priced, very competitively priced, when you look at the performance figures against some of the others. So I think where we are in the ballpark, absolutely. Uh, um, I'll tell you now, they'll all sell out. You know it. I know it. It, it will all sell out. I, I, I just... Before we finish up, and I'm, I'm very grateful for the time that you've given us here on Midweek Motorsport, um, just a couple of points from me that I've noticed already in the way that we've been talking and what I've seen and what I've heard. Um, as we said, the car's not eligible for anything at the moment, but we're coming particularly at Le Mans and with the ACO into a very different era at the sharp end of the field. 
Let's put GTs to one side at the moment because although this looks and feels and sounds like a GTE car, a GT Le Mans car, we're coming into an era where the possibility exists for more GT-like cars to be running at the front of the field. Some of the big manufacturers want that to happen. McLaren, Mercedes, Aston Martin, they all want to be winning Le Mans outright with something that looks like one of their hypercars. Strikes me that what I've seen there and heard and what we've been talking about would be right in the ballpark for version 2.0 or version 3 of whatever the Brabham BT XX comes next. Was that at any way in your thing? He's smiling now, you see. <laughs> Come on, Brabs, tell us. Give us the skinny. Give me the skinny. Really? <laughs> <laughs> and that's all we need to know, ladies and gentlemen. Absolutely all we need to know. And in that point, then, are you uh, talking to the ACO and the, the FIA, WEC? Are you trying to get yourself on one of those committees where you can influence how that goes forward? Yeah, that's the plan. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I think it's important that we do. Uh, you know, first things first. We're, we're launching. Oh, yes. We're launching a product, yes. uh, which has taken a phenomenal amount of, of effort from everybody involved. Um, we have a vision. Mm-hmm. Um, we felt it was important, like I said, to make a real impact. So, not telling anybody <laughs> is is making an impact um, because as soon as those teasers started coming out, you know, we've 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 engaged with a lot of really interesting people. Um, well, I've got to tell you, when I saw the first <laughs> drive-by teaser, I thought it was a prototype. Right. It was blurry, but the noise, it was obviously a V8, so I thought, mm, it's a, it maybe a private AP1 or a P2 car. Having seen the detail of the car now, it's stunning. But the performance levels you're talking about there could easily be translated into that sort of level of performance. Yeah. Yeah. You've thought about all of this, haven't you? You've thought about all of this. Um, David, it's a, it's a cracking thing to do. Thanks for letting us be part of this uh, again, uh, as we have been with you guys uh, in the past. Um, let's look six months a year down the line. Where do you want to be with this project? And, and if I was to sit down with you again or have an update, which we will do, what do you want to be able to tell me that has happened in... Where are we now? Um, April. So let's say after the end of the summer. Well, that's a good question, isn't it? Uh, well, you're obviously whenever you think of like that, you think about the success that's going to come mm. down the road, not 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 anything else. Um, you know me; I'm I'm fairly positive oh, yeah. in my thinking. So uh, obviously, ideal is that obviously over the next coming weeks, all seventy go. Mm-hmm. Um, that obviously starts to really underpin the business, mm-hmm. and all the all the um, you know all the sort of the next program that we've been planning for starts getting accelerated. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in terms of the next variant car, starts to become much more of a, yeah, a reality yeah. quicker, um, and you know the business starts to really grow and accelerate, as, as well as the racing program starts to pick up momentum as well. Is there a plan for a road going? Brabham in the future. Not necessarily a version of the BT62, but some road... I mean, I'm old enough to remember the Brabham Viva, the HB in it, Viva. That was a very long, very long time ago. I always wanted one of those because it had the curl stripes down the side, or at least I wanted my dad to have one in the late 60s, early 70s. Yeah, there are aspirations for, for that, yeah. Cool. Okay, and you can tell us about those uh, in 
due course, I think, is the, the correct way of seeing it. Um, final question, how quick, you know, how many can you build of these? 70 cars, if all 70 sell out in the next month or so, you said the build time is anything between sort of eight, ten months down the line, but how quickly can you turn these cars out? Uh, 12 to 18 months. For all 70? All 70. Wow. Mm. And that was not a hint of... A hesitation on that. You absolutely believe and know that, don't you? No, I mean, obviously, um, you know, we, we, we have to be very clear about the messaging as, as, as we move along through this program. And obviously the, the guys involved uh, on that side of the business know exactly what they can and can't deliver. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's, that's what we believe that we can deliver, for sure. And... Uh just one final comment from me. When can I have a go? <laughs> <laughs> Put your name on the list because that list is getting bigger and bigger. I'll see if I can get on my tiptoes and stick it on the top. David, excellent stuff. Uh, so delighted that this long, hard journey has come to fruition with Brabham Automotive and the BT62. Best of luck, mate. Thank you very much. And thank you to all the listeners who've supported us as well. Thank you. As David Brabham talking exclusively to Midweek Motorsport earlier this week in London, an exciting project, and we'll be keeping an eye on that. And as you heard David say, he'll be updating us here on Midweek Motorsport in the future. And uh, still to come in the second hour of tonight's programme, uh, Nick Damon on his way. Uh, and we will also have a big announcement uh, from Radio Show Limited as well, coming up in the second hour, as well as taking your questions and putting them in front of the man at the head of the IMSA broadcasting deal, the man who's uh, just been an integral part of that NBCSN and IMSA deal. That's David Pettit. He's in the second hour of tonight's programme as well. And whilst we're talking about IMSA, let's talk about the IMSA competition. The stuff on the track this weekend. Uh, We're back to mid-Ohio for the first time since 2012 for IMSA competition. And joining us, uh, our Continental Tide Pit Lane reporter from IMSA Radio is Shea Adam. I suppose I should say uh, good afternoon to you. Yes, it is. Good afternoon, Shea. Good afternoon, John. Or is it good evening for you? Well, it is. It is good evening for us. Yes, (laughs) absolutely right. Uh, It seems like forever since we've been to mid-Ohio with IMSA or any derivation thereof. Uh, And it's a particularly long time since we've been there where IMSA has been the only uh, sanctioning body because, of course, the last few years we went there uh, with the American Le Mans series, we were sharing with IndyCar. Yeah, and actually it's funny you mention that because just yesterday I was looking through pictures and videos from that last time that the ALMS was there in 2012 the good old days of Muscle Mug versus Dyson. Mm. We had a stinker of a race where Corvette Racing came out, and it was Ollie Gavin and Tommy Milner who won. Funny that, considering that they won the last round of our current day championship yes. at Long Beach. So it's going to be interesting to see how the tides can play out because out of the cars that we have going, we've got 25 drivers who are rookies to the track. So whether that means that they haven't been there with IMSA or they haven't been there at all, We've got a lot of people who are going to be scrambling in the practice sessions to try and figure out which way it goes. Uh, And it's a track that has a degree of nuance to it. I mean, it looks complicated, and that's because it is. But delve deeper, and it doesn't get any easier. I remember (laughs) when all of the Europeans first came over, 
uh, Brian Till, one of our broadcast colleagues uh, from Fox, who for many years was the chief instructor at Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course, took a... I was going to say a minivan, but it wasn't really. It was a crew bus out uh, and showed the Audi guys around. And I sat in one of the middle seats just to have a look around as well. And the camber changes, the, as I say, the little nuances, the things that would take you a long time to find out if you were toiling around there, uh, Brian was able to point out. I, I think the early practice sessions here, Shay, are going to be really important. But weather could be playing a part in the early part of the week, so they might not oh. be that uh, that useful for those drivers who haven't been there before well and you speak about the weather yes it is supposed to rain on thursday and friday so bring your rain clothes i know you'll be in the booth but still it never hurts to have a nice dry pair of socks with you the weather has already been playing a part though because of all the number of teams that have gone to mid ohio to try and test to try and learn the track with Mm. some of the rookie drivers who have had it snowed out frosted out rained out uh, the the schedule for people testing at Mid-Ohio has been littered with the word cancelled mm. next to it. We've had the Porsche boys. They sent both Earl Bamber and Lawrence Vantor, uh, or no, it was Patrick Pile at one point. Patrick's got laps around the track. He's raced there before. Earl has not. They were posting videos on Instagram of driving the track in various rental cars, trying to get grip, and they couldn't even do that in the rental car. They were sliding all over the place. Yeah, Pat Long's saying exactly the same to us at Long Beach, that it was just so icy. I I do think that means that in some ways um, this makes life uh, more difficult for the rookies. Of course it does. Uh, It also makes life interesting for us because I don't think anybody is going to really get themselves dialed in till either just before or possibly even during the race. It's a full IMSA weekend. Uh, we have Lamborghinis and Porsches. No prototype challenge uh, here this weekend. Conti is back and that, that's, yeah. where I, that's where I'd like to start uh, with Conti uh, and their um, mid-Ohio 120. Back to the two-hour format but 36 entries uh, that we have uh, here just five street tuners entries we're up to seven entries in touring car uh, with an additional audi uh, here this weekend and then the rest the bulk of the field 24 in gs Uh, let's talk about the the sts first of all and with the field that we've got, small but perfectly formed ST, because you look at the entry list, yes, we have the three minis that mm. we're used to seeing. Any one of those three could win. Yeah. And we've got a newcomer in the name of Colin Mullen, who will be driving in the number 52. That's the yellow and black mini that we've seen in the past, sort of bringing a, a variety of different pilots to try out their hand. Colin is a youngster from California who's a go-carter. This is his first time driving a tin-top car. This this is a legitimate debut oh, for wow. him. So if you take that many out of the running, you still have four cars that could win and could win by a mile if given the opportunity. Jason Rabe in the Body Motion Porsche currently leading the points alongside Max Faulkner. They've got a real shot at a win to knock that off this season. You can never count out Devin Jones and Nick Gallant, especially at a track like Mid-Ohio where it is that rhythm course that you were talking about. It really is one of those things where you look at the entry list in ST and say, OK, let's throw a dart to figure out who's going to win. I'm looking forward to seeing that. I still think those three mini GC, GCW teams should be Italian jobbed up and one be red, yes. one be white and one be blue. <laughs> um, in Touring Car, who have we added? Is that the JDC Miller Motorsports Audi it RS3? Is. Yeah. 
And I could not be happier to see that car on the entry list. Michael Johnson having a crash during the preseason test that wound up breaking his leg in a couple different places. He's been recovering. He's been working really hard. And to see the car back on the entry list, what, six months after that crash happened, excellent, excellent news. It means that Steven Simpson will get a bit of extra drive time around mid-Ohio sports car course. Of course, he's not a rookie to the track, and his best finish actually came in Indy Lights. So he's driven quite a few different varieties of cars around the 2.2-mile circuit. But just having them back, it adds that little bit of a question mark. Are we finally going to see somebody troubling the Compass 360R team for the win? Because they've been so dominant this year, John. Yeah, Rodrigo Salas and Colonel Whitman in the 74, Roy Blockpierre Kleinerbing in the 75, Britt Casey Jr. and Tom Long in the 77. There are no weak links in that and the Compass Racing team with those uh, Audis, very good indeed. It's Luke and Tanner Rumberg once again in the Volkswagen Golf providing the variety we'll Mention RS Verks Racing for Don Istuk from Texas. Lee Carpentier and Kieran O'Rourke are the E-Eurosport come racing there, both in Audis, of course. Um, I, I, I'm sorry to have to say this, but you know that, that might be very good racing, but they are really uh, playing support very much to the 24 uh, GS cars, GT4 cars. And again, there's probably... I would think there's 20 of those 24, certainly 18 that I can see that could be on the podium, and probably half of those, 9 or 10, that actually could win this race. Yeah, and honestly, I would go so far as to say any one of the 24 could be on the podium because we don't know what's going to happen at a course where so few of the drivers have actually even been there before. True. Uh, It's it's going to be a bit chaotic, more so for the Conti drivers than I think for the WeatherTech drivers, just because of the amount of track time and the track time allotted. Yes. They've got two sessions on the Friday to get ready, and then, of course, qualifying and, and all that. But it's a very condensed calendar. And when you look at the pattern of how these drivers have shaken out so far this year, normally the starting driver is the one who gets the session right before the qualifying, the short little 15-minute shake the cobwebs off. And the driver who finishes normally goes from practice to until the end of the race without driving the car. Mm. It's going to be really, really hard and really important for them to keep green track time. But it does offer the opportunity for a combination like Hugh Plum and Owen Trinkler, like Nate Stacy and Kyle Marcelli, Spencer Pompelli and Dylan McIvern. You, you've got several driver combinations there where both of the drivers have been to mid-Ohio before in similar yes cars yes, to the gt4 point. car they're going to have a distinct advantage yeah I, and the other thing is tactics here i know it's only a two-hour race but this is a relatively short lap i think green flag pit stops will take you a lap off the, will take you off the lead lap so if you get caught the wrong side of a safety car that could be real trouble so i think we're going to see people going long getting as far into the race as they possibly can uh, so that they either catch a safety car and have a yellow flag pit stop or at least everyone is in the same boat i've got no clue I literally have uh, no clue. Um, You could, well, as I say, half the field are in with a chance. We've got a great selection of GT4 cars, all running on the Continental tyres, of course. Good to see the two automatic racing Astons uh, in 
the field again, the 09 and the 99, Stephen Phillips, Al Carter in the 99, Rob Eklund Jr. and Brandon Kidd uh, in the 09. But really, I mean, pick your favourite from that, whether you're a Ford, Mercedes, McLaren, BMW, Audi. Uh, is there just the one Audi in this again this week? Yes, there is, isn't there? It's yep. only the uh, Carbon Motorsports for Mark Siegel and Jet Westfall. I mean, basically, whatever, uh, whatever flavour of a GT4 car that you like, pretty much uh, all of the, the top marks are there. And I'm very much looking forward uh, to that little 120-minute, two-hour dash, which, remember, uh, amidst all the talk uh, of other stuff going on this week in terms of TV for various series and for IMSA, um, Continental Tyre, always unblocked, always unfettered by... Uh, and uninterrupted by ads flag to flag on IMSA.tv with the IMSA radio commentary. We'll have uh, qualifying and uh, the practices before as well on IMSA radio. Uh, so that doesn't change uh, at all for uh, this season as it has been in previous years. That is going to be a lovely, lovely warm-up uh, on <laughs> Saturday. Uh, we have in the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, we are uh, back to... The full three categories. 34 cars here. GTD, 12 cars. Uh, and most of the us- usual suspects are there. And we need to give a huge shout out because something that has happened that we weren't necessarily expecting to happen, but I know many people across the world were hoping and praying it would. Alvaro Parent and Catherine Legg are entered in the car this weekend. They will be driving the second MSR Acura. So it is the Acura Sports Car Grand Prix, a big weekend for them being so close to the home base. We do get two of these cars. We are not getting the Hart Racing car nor the CJ Wilson Acura, but we do have two cars. And quite honestly, I'm going to be watching that number 86 to come out and destroy the competition because Alvaro has been having a really hard time running in his other series. They sit third in points in the championship for GTD, do Alvaro and Kat. They're only 10 points behind Brian Sellers and Madison Snow. And by the way, I'm pretty sure this is the first time ever that Brian Sellers has led an IMSA championship. I could be wrong about that, but from all my sources, we seem to think that that's pretty consistent. But Alvaro is going to be eager beyond words to drive a race, to pass people in a race, to perform well, and to win. So you add on the fact that he is in the brand that is sponsoring the whole shebang, it's going to be something to watch. Is he all right? Because he had quite a big shunt, a big crash last time out in the yeah. in the World Challenge, didn't he? Yeah, that was at VIR. He was nerfed off the track at turn two by a Mercedes, went in backwards, moved a several thousand pound uh, concrete block with the rear of the car. The car was written off for the weekend. It was said, done. They were running low on spare parts. I really feel for the Flying Lizard and K-Pax guys because they have already had, I think, nine significant accidents this year, and they're only, what, four or five rounds into the championship. Um, But Alvaro, on Sunday, from all accounts, he was more upset than 
and injured. Uh, watch out also for Pat Long. I mentioned him earlier on. Christina Nielsen, uh, the right motorsports Porsche, needs to get their championship underway. But they are both yeah. super confident, even though they haven't had the practice they were hoping. The other name we've got to say, uh, Wolf Hensler is with Michael Shine, uh, obviously in a Porsche. That's the 16 car. Uh, Pat Long, Christina, the 58. And by the way, Alvaro and Cat Leg uh, in the 86. Uh, a second car for right motorsports this weekend. Uh, that number 16 car for Michael Shine and Wolf Hensler. And what a cool program this is that they've been able to put together. Mike Shine, who's a guy that we've seen in IMSA competition before because he did the GT3 series several times. Uh, I think four seasons total he's run in that category. But they're going to be doing a partial calendar, all of the short races. So they should be back for Detroit, not there at the Glen, but then they should be there for CTMP and Lime Rock and Road America all the good ones that we really have that condensed calendar, we should be seeing the number 16 car. If it's going to be Wolf and Michael the whole time through, I think Michael is definitely consistent, but Wolf uh, to be determined. It's going to be a fun car to watch. We also get Maro Angle back mm. in the Sun Energy One racing Mercedes. That's going to be exciting. Dylan McIvern and Bill Oberlin. He's back, people. He I, only missed one race. I, I love the fact that this uh, championship gives up-and-coming young West Coast drivers like Bill Oberlin the chance. Yeah. Uh, you know, turn them motors. And all, all kidding apart, this is Bill going back to his absolute roots. I mean, this is where I first saw him uh, driving. I think he was driving a GT and a prototype in the same race the first time I saw him way back in. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll <laughs> save his and my blushes. Uh, that was 2012, at... wasn't it? <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Um, if only, Cher, if only that was the truth. <laughs> I, I think it was 1998 at okay. um, Laguna Seca, uh, and he jumped out of a prototype into the GT. No, the other way around, I think, and should have won both classes, actually, but didn't um, because the person who took over from him in whichever the first car was didn't finish the race. But, I mean, this is great news for Turner Motorsport and Liquid Molly. Lovely car. Dylan McIvan, uh, great driver uh, as well. So plenty of excitement in GTD. GT Le Mans, uh, the eight usual entries. No recent competition, uh, competizione this, this weekend, so... Two Porsches, two Ford Chip Ganassi Racing GTs, two BMW M8s, uh, and two Corvettes. And a significant milestone potentially for Corvette in a season and a year or so of significant milestone. Ollie Gavin getting his 50th win for Corvette Racing on the streets of Long Beach. Another yeah. win for Corvette this weekend. That would be their 100th in the States, plus the eight at Le Mans, that would give them 108. They're on 107 at the moment. Hangdorf comes up with a stat shocker there, and there's every opportunity that that car could do it here. Oh, yeah, massively so. Round of applause for that, by the way. Golf clap for that stat. That was something that I didn't even put together. Um, If it'll be the three car, it will be Antonio's first time ever finishing on the podium at Mid-Ohio because his best finish, shocker, is fifth. So he doesn't have a win yet at Mid-Ohio. Yan has a few. Ollie's got a few. And Tommy has a couple. So Corvette Racing, they've got all the pieces in place. This is, of course, the first time since their championship winning season of 2016 that the four car has been in the top three of points. They currently sit second behind the driver combination of the number 67 Ford. That would be Westy and Briscoe. Both of those drivers are very familiar with the course as well. We've only got John Edwards for BMW and Patrick Pile from Porsche. Those are the only drivers who have actually 
been to the track for their respective teams in racing condition. Really? Yes, he croned, was trying to get up to speed by doing a lot of simulator work. He posted a video about that on, I think it was Instagram the other day. Very interesting to see how that will relate because you were talking about it a little bit at the beginning, the rhythm of the course. I'm not sure that it would convey as much as some other places do through simulator, but we've got a lot of drivers who have been working on that to try and get up to speed with the circuit. I mean, it's we've had three races and Porsche's won, Corvette has won, Ford has won. You would think that BMW would be next, but can they do it at their home track with drivers, so many drivers who have never even been there before? And, and Not it, a huge BOP shift no, either, John. No, indeed. And it's and it's another different uh, variety of track and, and personality of track with the the topography with those camber issues that I was talking about earlier on. Um, I think GT Le Mans will be worth watching all day. Again, I think it could be very strategic. Think about what we we said before the short 100-minute race at, on the streets of Long Beach, where, you know, it's a, uh, for the pro guys, it's basically a five-minute drive time. So, yeah. you know... It, you open up the strategy if you get an early caution, um, perhaps not to go all the way to the end. But this, I think the guys on the pit wall are going to work uh, very, very hard and earn their money, particularly in GTLM, where there are some decisions to be made. Uh, we have 14 prototypes, one four uh, prototypes. A couple of cars for JDC Miller Motorsports. Uh, Simon Trimmer and Robert Alon are together. Stephen Simpson and Misha Goikberg together. Did I see Stephen Simpson had uh, a particular? We talked about him earlier on in, in Conti. Did we see that? Uh, did I see that he had a, a particular uh, personal milestone recently? Yes, he did. He finally, after many years of procrastinating, became an American citizen. So Mm. congratulations to Stephen. This will be the first race where he could, if he wanted, he could exchange that uh, beautiful multicolor flag on his car for the good old stars and stripes. Mm. But uh, his racing license is still with South Africa, so I think he'll be keeping that for a little bit longer. I wonder if this is where Mazda Team Yost comes of age. They've been just ramping it up. The pace is clearly in the car. The reliability has started to come. Uh, Yep, I know it was a short race uh, on the streets of Long Beach, but for the Acura Sports Car Challenge, it could be a Mazda type of circuit. I know that... Uh, Ollie Jarvis, I was talking to Johnny Morlam, who uh, looks after Ollie uh, earlier in the week uh, in the UK. And Ollie's pretty pumped for this with Tristan, Jonathan Bomarito and Spencer Piggott. Well, they don't need uh, any encouragement at all. Is this a potential? Is this another potential win for Master Team Yost? Definitely. And when the only driver who is inexperienced at this track, is a driver of the caliber of Ollie Jarvis, Mm. you're sitting pretty good, especially when the competition has drivers where they haven't been either. And honestly, there's no slouch in the prototype field, especially toward the front of the points. You really don't have anybody with an excuse not to win. But for Mazda, for their potential, we've been seeing it building and building and building. You feel that if it's not going to come at the Acura Sports Car Grand Prix, it might just be on the streets of Belle Isle, the next round of the championship that we go to. And that would almost be sweeter for them to get the win there because that is Mr. Penske's home ground. That is the Chevrolet Sports Car Grand Prix. It has been a Chevrolet fest for the last few years. Mm. Can they sneak a win in before then, though, at Mid-Ohio? They they definitely need some redemption because the cars have been quick and, you know, they're... 
somehow have uh, somehow conspired against them. It would seem Dan Cameron, yeah. Juan Pablo Montoya, Elio Castroneves, Ricky Taylor, six and seven, of course. Uh, but the you know the elephant in the room is still whatever anybody thinks is still the the Cadillac train, isn't it? It really is. And you look at the BOP changes that MSA have put in place for this weekend in the prototype. They've taken two liters of fuel away from the Acura, the Cadillac, the Mazda, and the Nissan. In other words, all of the DPI cars, mm. trying again to bring them a little bit closer to what we have with the cars that they can't change, the Ligiers and the Oricas, because we don't have a Delara any longer mm. in our championship, running currently at least. They're trying to rein everybody back in. I don't know how much of a difference that two liters of fuel will make, but there is one big factor that we need to consider that will help, especially the Acura, the Mazda, and the Nissan, the two ESM machines. It's going to be cold. Yeah. And what do turbos like? They're like a bit cold. of cold weather. Yeah, very good. The, the other thing I would say, just the nature uh, uh, of the circuit at Mid-Ohio, the... The guys in the European cars, I'm not sure whether it helps them or not, or in the global cars, should I say. Mm -hmm. So, you know, core autosport, performance tech, uh, the uh, guys uh, from JDC Miller Motorsports. Uh, It's a European-style circuit, but it's not billiard table smooth. And again, we get down to that fact that they've got spec suspension and spec shock absorbers particularly against things that are slightly more tunable, actually considerably more tunable, uh, yes. in, in the DPIs. <laughs> that said, is this a more European circuit and are they then closer than ever before uh, to the sharp end of the field? This is the most European-like circuit mm. that we have gone to so far this year. So they should be able to put up more of a fight I look particularly at that number 54, the core autosport car, because right now Colin Brown and John Bennett are sitting third in the championship, and John just got married this last weekend, so he's going to be looking for another happy reason to celebrate. (laughs) Very good. Very good indeed. Can't wait. Cars are on the track on Friday, aren't they? Yes, on Friday. Uh, Thursday on Thursday for support series. All right, so we'll uh, we'll have a quick look at that when we get there. And then on Friday, we'll be on air, first of all, on RS2 IMSA Radio for the IMSA WeatherTech first free practice and then all of the sessions beyond that, many of them in sound and vision as well. So make sure that you tune in throughout the uh, weekend. Uh, and the first free practice session is a quarter to ten, 9.45 local time on Friday. And of course, if you want to know what that is, go to the bottom of www.radiolamont.com homepage and it will go into your browser time automatically. Thanks, Shay. See you later in the week. See ya. Still to come on Midweek Motorsport. And is there any chance you could bring some dessert to the VO booth, please? Just over an hour of Midweek Motorsport Series 13. Episode 17 is already complete. And before 10 o'clock tonight, you will hear Johnny Palmer getting us all excited about the WEC season opener in Spa. Friday qualifying, Saturday race, all live, of course, on RS3. Eve Hewitt, the Managing Director of Radio Show Limited, will be bringing us up to date with an exciting announcement about our Le Mans coverage for 2018 this year. Uh, and everything you ever wanted to know about the IMSA NVCSN uh, deal, the TV deal from earlier this week, one of the top executives from IMSA will be on the phone with us in the next hour answering the questions that you have posed. But next, it's Nick Damon. 
Midweek Motorsport on RS1. Right, kicking off round two, and Nick Damon has arrived for Formula One. Hooray! Well, I've been here for a while, actually. Have you? Yeah, you know you were wittering to Shay and everything. I was may have had some of the duck. Oh, the confit duck. I may have had some. Did that just take not, your attention before not, you... Don't think I had yours. No, 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 right, OK, that's... <laughs> You know, well, I had my share early. You know the deal. I come round here, you feed me. I can't. I, I say something, something which is mildly amusing or, or possibly wrong, or both. Uh, yes, normally at the same time. Yes, right. Well, settle yourself in then. Uh, se- second half of the show, and may have to break away because we're waiting for a phone call from Imza. And if we have to do that, I apologise in advance. So let's crack on. Azerbaijan yes. at the weekend. Good that track. is rapidly becoming my favourite Formula 1 track. Especially with extra wind. With added wind, normally it's a problem, but the added wind really helped. <laughs> Is that why everybody was smiling? Well, it was the added wind. The added wind and the falling off and the cold tyres. Did you see else. F2? Only the highlights, I'm afraid. F2, the, both of the F2 races were sparkling. And what a crop of drivers we've got there. Mm. George Russell, brilliant. Yep. Jack Aitken, brilliant. British, British. Uh... Alex Alban, I Not thought British, was very good. very good on the brakes when mm. other people were losing their heads. Lando that sounds like a theme. Yes. Well, we'll come back to that later. Um, Lando Norris, okay. Okay, but not think, sparkling. I don't it think it's the best weekend. I mean, he felt, I he felt like foul was, of the, uh, the clutch wobbly issues. clutch issues they've got. But then know. half the grid did, it seemed, at some stage. 14 people have stalled on the grid in four races. Really? Is, um, Just get your mic a bit closer. Indicative of a, a, a I would say, of a, uh, an, issue. <laughs> an issue with the car. But, you know, obviously, if there's 20 in each race, 66 people haven't stalled in the first four races, but there we go. Uh, what, I, what I saw from Norris was a man who is racing for a championship, even now. That wouldn't surprise me. He, 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 he gained out of uh, Seti Kamara getting uh, He was good as well. Um, very unlucky. 0.2 of a litre too little fuel in his car. 0.2 of a kilogram actually may have been. And he got excluded. Otherwise, he'd be leading the championship now. Right. But, uh, the bad news for his, his Carlin teammate. Yeah, Lando had a, uh, a, a difficult day. He obviously started from the pit lane, got through the six, and didn't really make the most of it in the reverse grid race. I think he was fourth, wasn't he? Mm. Um but there's a lot of action. I saw the lots of actions. You actually saw the races, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I made a point of, of getting up to, to watch think, them. Yeah, I think the interesting thing is we will see a lot of these guys in action after the next Grand Prix. Because of course, after the next Grand Prix, there's a Barcelona test. A lot mm-hmm. of young drivers there. George, of course, George Russell will be running for Force oh, India. Yes, um, on a bit of a Mercedes Lender. Yes, um, Jack Aitken is a Renault test driver. Yes, someone somewhere on the street on the Twitter will tell me who Alex Albon has. A, has a no, deal I, with. I don't think he has. Really? I think he's one of the ones that doesn't. Okay. Um, but carry on. And, I, I uh, shall, I'll obviously, Lando is, Lando is already basically, um, you know, attention to get Stoffel van Dorm's drive at the moment already. I think it's uh, an interesting situation. So, yeah, so um, it, it does seem actually, as you said, I think, that after two races... It was Red deuce. Bull Junior team in 2012. Oh, it's obviously dropped long out of that from there then. Yes, uh, and I, I don't think he is uh, picked up at the moment. Well, I'm sure someone will pick him up, but... Um, he's very good. I think, yeah, it's, 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 I think it looks like a good competitive munch. I think I still think Landau Norris is... Landau? Landau is the favourite. I think he's got... Landau he, sort of <laughs> drop top. Yes. Is, is it? Yeah, he did qualify second before he loused it up, and I think that uh, we're going to get back to lots of tracks he knows now in the European core of the season. Interestingly, said in an interview that I saw on the telly, and it was referenced in the qualifying... Mm. 
doesn't race well when he's flustered. When things going wrong, flustered. And there was a couple of times when he got he got by somebody, and then they passed him back. And and I've I've mentioned this issue that I have with him in the past, where mm-hmm. it seems he does lose his head sometimes. Well, that's a maturity issue, isn't it? That's that is something which does come with maturity. But I'm going to defend him here when I haven't before, and I've said I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> if he's recognising that, then then that's part of the problem. If he didn't think there was anything wrong. I still, I mean, I still think he, he, I think he'd probably go all the way. I think oh, a number of those guys. I think, I think if he does, strong. if he does what we think he's going to do, um, it'll be an F1 next year. Uh, and and maybe, uh, replacing either a Belgian or or a Spaniard who's finally had enough. Uh, don't go away, Nick. Oh, okay. No, no more duck for the moment oh. uh, for you. We'll have F1 in a moment. You listen to Midweek Motorsport Series Thirteen, Episode Seventeen. Uh, this week, one of the big, we've got lots of big stories. Uh, this week was the ongoing or the new TV deal from 2019 for a full six years. NBCSN and NBC uh, with IMSA, the WeatherTech Championship and more. And delighted to say that joining us on the telephone, uh, David Pettit, the Vice President of Marketing for IMSA. He looks after marketing, advertising, broadcasting in there as well. Good evening, David. Another week, another announcement. Thanks, John. Great to be on board. And uh, yes, very, very exciting time for us. David, uh, tell me a little bit about the uh, the genesis of this before we get into listeners' questions, of which I'm sure you'll know there'll be a few. How did this all come together, and why are NBC and NBCSN the right people for IMSA to go forward with? Well, uh, I mean, clearly with your fans, as they very well know, and the, the changing world from linear to digital and with our contract being up, it was time to look at the landscape and go through all the uh, typical gyrations one would expect in, in that case. And through that entire process, looking at all the outlets, uh, our current partner, Fox and NBC Rose, as being the two top two options. And then NBC came to us with an offer that just made a lot of sense specific to motorsport. Uh, especially given, you know, their recent announcement with IndyCar, the alignment that they have with NASCAR, just the continuity of having motorsports under one umbrella is uh, it's good to be back under one umbrella. And a huge, uh, a huge increase in what people might nowadays call linear television hours here in terms of network television for the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship going forward. Yeah, and that's the other play with that too, as well as you know, obviously, and Fox did a spectacular job. NBC agreement, you know, offering, you know, it looks to be another race, one more race than what we had in our previous agreement, and there'll be marquee events. The schedule's not decided 100%, but I can assure you, when we get it announced, that everyone will be very pleasantly surprised with the network side of it, um, distribution, more reach for our fans, more cross pollination across the entire U.S. market. Now, we're talking about the US at the moment. I'll come back to the international and, and uh, a few questions, as you can imagine, uh, from that. Um, the This is good news for your uh, US uh, fan base. Uh, it also means less channel hopping. Yeah, the the, uh, the distribution. So one of the great pickups, which is very exciting when we looked at this, is that every race will have the availability to watch flag-to-flag uh, coverage on uh, NBCSports.com or NBC app. Um, so that is something we didn't currently have. So if we had a same-day delay or preemption or anything like that, our fans now can go and g- watch every race, and then we have the, the linear on top of the, the streaming side of it in the U.S. Now, when, when you say flag-to-flag, so that's no adverts at all on that streaming service from NBCSN? Uh, 
That I, I I don't have the answer to yet, but as I've watched it, there will definitely be some adverts on that in the U.S., okay. so they use it as a commercial platform. Yeah, understood. Um, some questions um, on the USA side of things before I, before I move on. I, I mean, I think generally speaking, everybody's very happy about this, but there's uh, some detail, of course, that you are holding, like the schedules, and there will be TBA later in the year. Um, uh, any news on talent yet for NBC? That's the question. I think that I'm not going to shout names out of who's asked this, um, but, but most of most of my friends who work in broadcasting seem to want to ask me to ask, ask this. Any word yeah. on talent yet? Will that be carry over from the guys who've done the TV in the past, or will that be NBC talent, or will it be a mix of both? Or don't we know? don't know yet at this point, Jens. We've, we've had very preliminary conversations, and obviously we have a great talent team currently you know, doing our broadcast, and we've, there's been other individuals, obviously, on the NBC side who have the capability as well. So we'll sit down with NBC, look at what we're trying to accomplish. You know, There may be you know, some production changes. I don't know until we get to the final details of that. The other part of that as well is that it's not just the WeatherTech Championship. So NBC is going to be carrying WeatherTech. It'll be carrying what is currently the Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge, which Michelin assumed that position next year, and then you have the IMSA Prototype Challenge. But there's also a high likely we're still working on this that Lamborghini Super Trofeo would be on them as well, and we're in discussions with Porsche DT3 Cup. So we could have all five of our series televised wow. US series on NBCSN or NBC Sports property. So there's plenty of room. Once that gets sorted out, then there may be more opportunity for some more TV talent. And uh, if I go online right now, there's a lot of people uh, giving in the votes on who they'd like to have. So we'll definitely take that in consideration. Uh, and, and it should be said that a lot of the things that you've mentioned there, like less channel hopping, more coverage, this has been driven by the fan base as much as it has been by your commercial uh, and manufacturer partners in, in the deal yeah. that IMSA have been looking for going forward. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I take it on occasion, and uh, even yesterday I was on Facebook and even Twitter replying to some of the fans to clarify some points. Uh, if we get emails, I'll respond to them. I had a gentleman actually thank me for the uh, new broadcast who wasn't had less than favorable opportunity this year to uh, not be so kind, but I told him, be patient, we're working on it. So we listen to the fans. We try to improve our position in every way we possibly can, and I think this is going to be one very, very positive step forward for our fan base. Um, right, let me let me go through a, a, a couple more of the questions that, that have been coming in uh, this week from the Midweek Motorsports and the IMSA Radio uh, fan base uh, as well. Um, the the OTT, the over-the-top content, the, the streaming content on, on NBC, uh, does that in any way affect how the IMSA app will look uh, going uh, into this new, this new era? No, in the U.S., and we'll break it in two parts. In the U.S., um, we have a new app, by the way, which is, should be launching today or tomorrow. So for, for this week's race, will be an all-new app out there, which uh, our fans should love. We've, we've, uh, we've uh, made it a lighter version. It should be much quicker. So that'll be great for someone on the mobile phones. Um, so that'll be coming in. It has the same role next year as it does this year. So outside of the U.S., you can watch all the races uh, streaming inside the U.S. We still have the restriction, but the good news is we have the flag-to-flag coverage now with with um, the the NBC uh, Sports app. So that's pretty good from that standpoint. Very excited there. One difference with respect to our market was with the current agreement, Mexico 
in uh, Canada fell under that agreement. In the new agreement, that's not the case. Ah. So our, our we'll work on increasing our international distribution and, and as well as the streaming on our app into Mexico, into Canada as well. Right, okay, that was the, that was a question that was being asked because the, I, I believe, and I'm not an expert on North American TV, I believe that NBC uh, and NBCSN isn't, isn't listed in, in Canada, so there wouldn't be a, a, a linear uh, opportunity for Canadian fans. So what what you're seeing there, David, is the opportunity to stream IMSA.TV or the IMSA app into Canada and indeed Mexico. That's being looked at right now, is it? That's correct. And as it stands right now, they will be. Uh, we will be able to do that for next year. Um, and, and even if we enter into a linear agreement, I think we'll, based on distribution, we'll still highly likely offer that for both those countries as well. Uh, and you, as you brought up the international side of things, and I've now mentioned in IMSA TV, for the rest of the world, effectively, nothing changing as far as no, <laughs> no ad breaks, uh, flag-to-flag coverage with the IMSA radio audio live from trackside. IMSA Radio, that would be you, John, correct? Well, I'm one of them. Uh, <laughs> uh, tr- trust me, I, I, trust me I, I'm, I'm literally going by what's in front of me on the on the Twitter screen. But, but yeah, I, I mean, yeah, a lot of people asking yeah. whether the, the international... Sub- and I, I think this comes, if I'm honest, David, I think this comes yeah. from... I know that, uh, obviously, F1 not with NBC uh, anymore, yeah. and there was some difference of opinion about how um, international coverage would would work between those two entities, um, and I think that's probably why people, and I can kind of understand it. Yeah. But but we can uh, can we put that to rest that that IMSA TV and the streaming product doesn't change. It is not going to change. Absolutely, we why why would mess with a very good form? And so we're excited to have you and Jeremy Natar, you know, uh, our SL team back with us for next year, the IMSA Radio team, and you know we're excited to see that continue. Um, you know, our, and the the big difference between us and the other markets for those outside wondering why you know F1 is different is that our commercial basis occurs in the U.S. Yes. So there's outside of the U.S. It's purely from a marketing standpoint. My goal is to get it in front of uh, as many fans worldwide as I can, and just as importantly to the heads of those those uh, global corporations. So obviously Porsche, Lamborghini, Ferrari, Audi. You go down the list of them who have headquarters outside the U.S. So engaging their organizations. Is is on top of the fans as well, so it's it's self-serving on a number of fronts. David Imser is doing such a great job at the moment. Compe- competition numbers are up. Excitement is at the highest levels I've seen for a long time. Very positive feeling from the fans and from the the commercial partners, the teams, the drivers, etc. In the paddock, there's a really good vibe about that at the moment. How important was it then to do a deal that gives six years is a long time in, in television. How important was it to give some continuity to the situation at IMSA right now? Well, you know, we, we've we've hung our hat for the last five years of growing the sport, merging together, and, and making it solid. And when you can land long-term deals with TV like this and a great partner like NBC, who's shown across their other platforms that their innovators are going to you know push the envelope not only on the linear side but the digital uh, what better place for us to align and and not only just align with nbc but then with you know our fan base who has a following who does follow indycar who does follow nascar and other sports as well um it the cross-promotional opportunity to, ex- to expose our platforms all five of the racing series hopefully one day if we can get to that point uh in north america is just exceptional timing unbelievable now i'm not going to press you on the on the the full broadcast schedule in terms of detail but when when might the fans be able to see that can we manage their expectations a little bit
bit? Well, typically we don't go out until uh, you know November, December. But I can assure you, you'll, you you'll see it in third quarter of this year. That's brilliant, David. Thank you very much indeed. I have no clue how much hard work must have been going on behind the scenes with you uh, and the team at IMSA. Uh, looking forward to the uh, the new era of broadcast television with NBC and NBCSM from 2019 onwards. Thanks for your time. All right, thank you, John, as well. Cheers. Vice President of Marketing for IMSA, Marketing uh, and Advertising Broadcasting. He looks after quite a bit of that stuff over at Daytona. That was David Pettit joining us on the telephone here on Midweek Motorsport. Nick, sorry uh, to cut you off there, but we, we had a window of opportunity with Mr. Pettit. I thought we were in time zones, eh? Yes, time zones, time zones, absolutely. Uh, that's exciting news, isn't it? I mean, you, you're a man that knows these digital platforms. <laughs> yes, I've lived, lived them from their very earliest burgeonings. Yes, yes. Uh, and, uh, I mean, effectively, NBCSN becoming the home of, of motorsport in, in, America, in yeah. America. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, you, if it's US uh, uh, born and bred and raised and raced motorsport, yeah, they've got was it a third or a half of NASCAR they have. And so, yeah, yeah. That's what you're allowed to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've got the two main series outside of that now. So the two proper racing series, where they go both ways more regularly than two races a year. I was going to say, they do turn right sometimes in NASCAR. Well, but once more this year, isn't it? Cause yes. We've got the Roval at Charlotte, is it? Oh, you say so. There is an infield. Anyway. Shall yes. I take you back to Good your stuff. proper area yes, of go on, expertise then, before I let you dig that I'm, hole? It's a reasonable, reasonable oval-shaped circular hole. Thing. Yes, <laughs> oval. There he was, digging a hole. Yes. yes. Let's mm, not get started. Look it up, kids. Look it up. Ah, yes. We're with the kids again with our... Don't forget, this weekend, of course, we're live with the IMSA WeatherTech Series plus the support races including Continental Tire Race live in Sound and Vision no blocks no brakes just the action plus the support races which this weekend are Lamborghini Super Trofeo and uh, Porsche IMSA Porsche GT3 Cup USA by Yokohama back at Mid-Ohio if you're just joining us you missed the first part of the programme Shea Adam uh, telling us what to expect this weekend and the, the short answer is actually we, we could have saved 20 minutes on the programme the short answer is action action and more action so join us on RS2 IMSA Radio for that we'll try and grab a word with Johnny Palmer um, it is Spa WEC this weekend, Spa WEC, sorry, this weekend. And uh, Johnny will be along in a wee while, but not before we've gone back to uh, Nick Damon before he nips down again and eats me out of house and home. Uh, yes, I, uh, yeah, you just said something. What? You just said action, action and more action. Well, that obviously is all about Formula One the last few races, isn't it? Well, actually, in fairness, it had just about everything at, yes. at Azerbaijan. As we were saying before, we had the opportunity to talk to David Pettit there. Um, Azerbaijan, a track that seems to provide good racing for single seaters. Well, the first I race was I, boring I, as heck. Wait, wait, wait. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I wouldn't like to race multi-class racing around there. I don't think it would work. But, no. but the good thing about the place is that with single category racing, it kind of levels the playing field a bit. The DRS actually works there. Well, there was an old-fashioned thing called slipstream slip as well. Yes. We saw some non-DRS assisted overtakes. Just could just use this thing called the hole in the air, which these things are punching. Let's like let, Monza in 1970 all over again. And, right, first of all, let's get this out the way. Um, Valtteri Bottas drove well again, and not necessarily completely the right strategy, although it seemed to me that Mercedes changed their minds partway through the, the race and realised that Valtteri could win, should win that race. I mean, he's been... I, I thought he was much better in China... 
Um, I, I thought he's. I still don't think he's quite doing enough, and, and, he's, and it's a results-based business. But I think lucky. Much, he, he was super unlucky. That's what I was but that's what it's about. I mean, it's very, did we know what it was? Have we found out yeah, what it went was? Over, it went over a lump of uh, debris, which I think came from the um, no, from from a, the coming together on the restart between Magnussen and Gasly when Gasly called Magnussen the most dangerous mate he's ever driven against, and I think Magnussen just didn't see him. Okay. Um, I think it was an interesting contrast at the uh, the front of the race. If we just take the Let's take the first four drives before we get down to Red Bull. Mm-hmm. Um, Sebastian Vettel um, well, had the whole race... Adult, can we book some ho- overtime, Had please? the whole race in his hands. <laughs> and in fairness, did a great job. Really nice pole position. Yep. Um, got away cleanly. Pulled away. Got a comfortable lead. Uh, three or four seconds on, on Lewis. Got ahead. Um, and then had the reverse situation that happened to him in Australia, yeah, where yeah. he benefited from, where the safety car came at just the wrong time, and Valtteri got past him. Now, ah, but in fairness, Valtteri was leading the race when the safety car came out, so he had the option so to was, pit first. So was Vettel in Australia. Yes. Yeah, but that was a virtual safety car, not a safety car. It's a safety car. It's a it's it's an intervention by a vehicle not driven by another racing driver that has affected the result. Anyway, the point about that is so. Fettel then decided to uh, be very aggressive on the restart and just lost it, locked it up, gave it a go. Um, didn't play the percentages, thought I'd go for the win and ended up uh, fourth. And quite Could have been worst. Quite lucky. Could have been fourth, much worse. That was a big lock-up and uh, it was more the case that everyone behind him was also suffering a little bit. So he came out at the end of the race and he was quite, he said, oh yeah, I made a mistake. I had to go for it. I had to go for it, said Seb. I had to go for it. And he didn't really have to go for it because over the course of the season, Bottas is not going to be your rival, whatever you think it is. He's not going to be, so you could have just taken second place and you'd have had several more points. Um, we go down to, uh, to Valtteri. Valtteri, I thought, was having a pretty average weekend. Um, he was slower than Lewis in qualifying. Lewis was easing away from him quite Easily uh, during the first easing phase. Easily. Easing easily. I think mm-hmm. he was eight seconds ahead or seven seconds ahead before he had his lock up. And what happened was he played himself in by just trundling round. Obviously, F1 speed trundling. Not taking anything out of his tyres. Not it? taking anything out and, and running round. And I think it's, it's, the fact is that those super soft tyres lasted way longer than we thought they were going well, to. Well, and, and, and probably because of the temperature drop. Temperature drop. Should everybody have taken the ultra Soft. Well, no, because actually, if you look at what happened with the this this run that, that Valtteri ended up doing, which was super soft onto ultra soft that way around, it was actually a, a, the, by far the quickest way to go. Is there anything other than uh, softer than ultra softs? We haven't got them yet, but they are coming. Super sticky, hyper soft, hyper, hyper soft. Yes, which we'll see at Monaco in four weeks' time. So uh, they weren't available. No, I think if there had been, people would have taken them. In fairness to Valtteri, um, he. Well, know, he stretched well, no, the tyres a long he, way. He, he stretched tyres. Mercedes were clever enough to think, well, what's the worst going to happen? It'll come yeah. to, they, were, they were a locked on second and third. It didn't matter. You well, also, whilst, he was, be. whilst he was out front, had the safety car not come out, he could affect the race in a negative way for Vettel. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was an, 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 a tactical no-brainer because they were, they were only racing against Lewis and they could decide what they were going to do. So they carried on going. The tyres were... He was still getting quicker. The tyres were fine. The soft tyres weren't coming in at all because it was too cold. Mm. So they had a situation where... Well, this is all right. We'll just try to carry. Yeah, it may well be we had a safety car. He'd have gone to the last lap or something. You know, it would be in a, um, a bit like um, Fettelway back in Monza many years ago. We took we changed tyres in the first lap and then just ran the rest of the race. Yeah. Then. But 
then Bottas didn't make a particularly brilliant restart because he was uh, there was a chance of an overtake, but he got round and through, and he, then he was warming up and he was trottling around, and he ran a bit of debris and very very like had a puncture, and everyone's kind of said, oh, marvelous, 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 marvelous. And I think yeah, it was all right. I didn't think it was marvelous. I think it was an okay drive. He was, right. you know, in, I think in, his China drive was a better drive. Oh, way better. Right, way better. Okay. Um, so then we have Lewis, who he was out of sorts, wasn't he? He was on the radio the a lot. The problem with Lewis is having. He's gone back to old Lewis. Well, not really. Lewis is Lewis is being. It's almost as though Lewis is is, is being down on himself so much so that no one else can be down on him, mm-hmm. because he's actually not doing that badly. He well, he was complaining about his tyres when he'd just done the fastest lap. He was out. He outqualified uh, Valtteri by point three, I think, and he looked pretty good. And, he, and I think the car wasn't great round there. He pulled away, and he was doing a much better job and holding. In some ways, he was holding um, Fettel to account, and I think there may be a little bit in the pocket for Sebastian during the race. But, and then he made a, he made a simple mistake, or, or it was unlucky, depending on what it was. They said, they said the, the wind turned around by 40 kilometres an hour, a lot of front tyres, and you know, paggered those, and so he had to come and change. At that point, he was on a poor strategy, and he was at that point he was fighting for third, and it would be a difficult call to get second. But then, obviously, at the end of the... Can the I end, just say one thing? Yeah. What did they pay him for a new set of super shots at the end? Yes, they, they, yes. they all came in. So that was came, the right thing to yes, do. They parked them all up. He what? Came, came what? The okay, off, sorry, you'll, you'll come to Ferrari he was in a second. Then, basically, he was then going to turn around and be third again uh, because he came out. But there was a possibility in the last four or five laps he might have been able to get a toe and attack Sebastian because, in yeah. fairness, his race pace, once he had warm tyres, seemed to be yes. about the same as the Ferrari. So there's a possibility. And then Ferrari's Fossi, owned the second sector, though. Yeah. That but was then, where but, they were quick. But the Mercedes were a little bit quicker in the first, and anybody could get a toe in the second. So yeah. they could get as long as you didn't drop behind DRS with a mile point three, there was a good chance. But anyway, so he, he was sitting there, he was trolling around, and then obviously Valtteri had his bad luck, and he came in to win. And the interesting thing was, he was really, <laughs> he seemed really down on himself for winning. Like, oh, I don't deserve it. Oh, I'm so depressed. Like Marvin, mm. the parallel android, you know. Look at the kids. Yeah, he, 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 he's done this little thing where he, he after the race he went to say, oh, I'm really sorry to Valtteri before going to the podium. So yeah. it was late for the podium he said oh you know he managed to get a little bit of a dig in though I quite noticed said, which you know, was I, well, you know, I don't like it you know, I don't like it when I win when I don't deserve it. other people just take it and giving it all the finger and that was obviously referring to Fettel in, in other places spot on the two hours by the way and I really like what Formula One broadcasting did that they did the uh, podium interviews in Park Fermier so that everybody could get out at the top of the hour so they didn't have to wait for the podium I thought that was really smart bit of stuff. That yeah, I, I was a bit surprised what happened. I wasn't, I wasn't sure whether it was a. Whether that no, was, I think they did that on the unless flight. The, unless well, it'd be interesting to see whether they decided to change the way they're going to do it. I don't. Well, know. I immediately I saw that. I looked at it before. You see, the, uh, immediately that happened. I thought, well, this is new. Or and I looked at my watch, and it was about four minutes to the hour. Yeah, but it, it, the two hour. Don't forget the race to start ten past now. Yeah, but it was. I don't think anybody expected that race to go anywhere near two no, hours. No, no. no. I mean, it, it, so you give people an opt to get out of the top yeah, of the hour. The interesting thing is whether or not you know it happens again next time. Where they want these instant reactions, which were you know, it was it's quite good. good. They do it in F two. They have um, they yeah. have their pit reporter in the park Fermi. Yeah, I mean it's it's, it's pluses and minuses. They're probably looking, they're probably looking to hold the audience for an extra five minutes. Right, so turning off, and then so finally we get to Raikkonen. Raikkonen who, um, should have been on pole. Lau set up. Um, oh, he was, got he into was a, great in qualifying. Got into a silly argument with Ocon, but that happens around that track. Yeah. 
trundled around, made small progress, and then suddenly, by a succession of weird incidents, found himself, A, on, on Lewis's tail after all the stops, again on ultra soft, and then going through the second. So, you know, it was, a, it was a, he was you know, again quite happy there. He had no, no qualms about going past Vettel when he was had his, his flat spot. So it was all kind of like, you know, you kind of like, Vettel seemed very chuffed when I thought he he really lousted up. Everyone was saying Bottas was a poor little soldier, and he was unlucky, but I didn't think he was that good. Riker had lousted up on Saturday, and Lewis, who was the most negative all I thought, well, just sometimes you just got to take your luck, mate. And um, Checo Perez on the podium. I know. Just trying to, uh, you know, as I said, very. You'd have thought they'd won the world championship. If, well, if you think there's a chance of getting a podium, it seems that Perez can get from his days at Sauber. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, one good. Per- the one person who can't get a podium when it's supposed to get is Nico Hulkenberg. Yeah. But if there's a podium available, yeah, he broke down again, didn't he? No, he threw it against. A wall. Oh, of course he did. He threw it against. A wall. Um, yeah, sorry. So, sorry. so before we go into people who may have made. Serious errors. Um, it is. We need to have a big, big word up for it is I Leclerc as Charles finally Driver began to. Well, he began to start to uh, pay back his, you know, mm-hmm. his uh, perceived talent with a very, very good weekend. Uh, Carlos Sainz managed to get it put it together again as well. Carlos Sainz, I still think, is underrated, and I think he needs a better drive. I do. Yes, I think he's underrated, and of course, don't forget for the. Eleventh or twelfth right. time since since the last two years, uh, Fernando Alonso put his best drive ever in, um, <laughs> according to Fernando Alonso, because his car was completely destroyed and only he could do it. And everyone else was parked it. There's so a bit of floor missing. Carrying on the advert, the the Fernando Alonso advert. I am the best. I am great. All right, um, half an hour of the show or thereabouts to go. Nick Damon is talking Formula One. Uh, word for Brendan Hartley as well. Got, got a, point. a point and managed to not quite kill his well damage his his, his teammate in qualifying. Yes. The car crowded in the middle of the road. They got very confused there at that bit. It was pretty scary. Um, I'm not not really sure what else he could have done except being over to one side of the road or other, but with a puncture. He should have, he should, I suppose the idea is you, you crawl right onto the left-hand side. and uh, Easy to say when you've... But he had a right-hand rear puncture. I think, I think 20, 20, 20 hindsight. Yeah, it, no, it, no, exactly. It was a good avoidance, so that was all right. Right, sit back, ladies and gentlemen. Ah. Get yourself an adult beverage because <laughs> now we are going to talk about... Um, Red Bull in a China shop. Oh, very good. I, 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 I was trying to think of something I else. Think, but yeah, I'm sure um, it has been. That was raging, yeah, that raging was, bull. That, that was brilliant, wasn't it? Well, let, let's forget. Let's not forget, but let's not start at the end. Let's start at the beginning because Max has not had a good season. No, Max has uh, had so far. I think his best finish is fifth. I think right because he, fi- he finished fifth in. Yeah, he's not finished the last three races, has he? No. So uh, and Danny Rick has had a good season coming off a very good result. Yes, he's and, he's and he was Mr. Mar- yeah, he was Mr. Man of the Fortnight. Oh, everything Danny Rick touches turns to gold. He smiles. Yep. He's got a new lip. Everything's great. Hurrah, <laughs> Danny Rick! Hurrah! He's fabulous. Everyone else is rubbish. Yeah. So, um, the the be- the question that everybody was putting out there. So I'll put it to you: If you'd been on the pit wall, mm-hmm. would you have ended that nonsense sooner, or should it have been ended sooner? The problem you have. Um, and I can see where the issue runs with Red Bull is, and this is going to sound a little bit harsh, is that Red Bull are not going to win the World Championship, right. and Red Bull are not going to win the Constructors' World Championship, okay. because the car-engine combination is not good enough, and they need days when you know Ferraris and, and Mercedes louse up to get wins. Mm-hmm. Um, they're already basically a shorter third. And that's it. So they're allowing the drivers to race with each other because it's obviously it's good PR and it gets lots of Red Bull 
you know, this was, a, you know, whatever the the race team may have thought, this was a fantastic day for Red Bull Drinks Incorporated and mm-hmm. their desire to sell um, different sorts of adult beverage yeah. if you're in France uh, to people. So, you know, it's good PR. Um, I think, effectively, the issue you've got is you've got team orders are fine, but you've got a loose cannon in, in Max Verstappen. Who Who's is, feeling under pressure. He's under pressure. He's been an indulged child for the past four years, mm-hmm. where everyone's going, it's only Max, Max is great, Max is the best, Max is fantastic, we love Max. Well, he, he's a little bit wandry in the breaking zone, but hey, it's Max, Max is great, well, we love Max. What have I said on this programme before? I he's think Max is... <laughs> well, no, I haven't said that. Well, you have, I really. Th- I think Max is... Offence, his attack, mm-hmm. is is as good as anybody's. I think his defence is dangerous. Yeah, I, I think do I- think... Now, that's by no means the worst I've ever seen him defend but I think if I'm Danny Rick all of the incidents beforehand Danny virtually drove himself into the wall at the exit of turn one to give his teammate room and he still got banged in I do feel that actually that incident where Max kind of effectively lent him out which is not you know, pushed him out, to, you know, drove, drove him out the circuit which is not such a, a bad thing if it's a tr- an ordinary track but this is a street circuit with a big concrete wall and if about you're a easing, 60 degree you know, angle. If you're easing someone out round one of the corners, I don't know, Silverstone or something, where there's a runoff and a bit of track, and you go, I'm just easing out a bit, it's not such a bad thing. The next the, the overtake that he pulled at turn two, mm. that was fine. Yeah. I think he did really well there, and Danny Rick gave him the room. But we did see people going side by side through turn one, or doing the cutback at turn one. Should mention as well. We had a very unusual situation this weekend because the tyres were wearing so little, um, effectively going well. We had the second man in the stop got yes, the better run. That often happens when it's cold. Yeah. That often ha- I don't know and, and that benefited Max. Everyone was massively surprised again. And I was thinking, well, this mm. often happens when it's chilly because you've got tyre warm up. And I think also there was a combination there that um, he had a good in-lap and Ricardo actually had a poor out-lap even for the warm-up. But anyway, so yes, once he finally got past... Um, Max was back ahead. I think. I think the underlying point about the whole thing wasn't it. I think, it, sure, when they analyse it, the fact was that Ricciardo was faster than Verstappen yes. in this race, in race pace. He was quicker. Yep. They had got themselves out of contention for a victory because they got stuck behind Carlos Sainz early on. Right. Um, he had the ultras. He got ahead, and they were falling back by a second and a half. So they were eleven, twelve seconds back. So at that point. You had all you could really go was let's have a let, let him at it and that sort of thing. But yeah, when it came to the actual final incident, I, you know, I, I don't say this very often. I kind of agree with Nicky Lauda. It was sort of seventy thirty for Stappen and 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 for Stappen and thirty for Ricardo. He definitely moved twice. I'm not actually sure if he hadn't moved the second time. It was it was a space on the inside. No, but the problem is when you move like that, you take the air off the front wing. Exactly, and, and, and you it, saw actually from. Uh, Danny Danny Ricciardo's on board as soon as Max moved back the front wheel yeah. locked up no 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 it, I mean, it's, 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 it's a pretty dumb thing to do with your teammate and I think that he needs to be calmed down but I think the underlying pressure these under is beginning to tell yes I agree uh, and let's remind everybody it's not just like you can say oh just push the brake pedal a bit harder no. Ricciardo's already on the ragged in fact he's beyond the ragged <laughs> edge of adhesion um, he did go at the stewards afterwards yeah they got well basically they, they had, that was an avoidable collision caused mm. by the two of them and it, whilst we, we, we all go oh it's teammates as far as the FIA is concerned it's two racing drivers two racing they don't, cars, they don't yeah. care that it's teammates and they both got reprimand and they both deserve reprimand and I think that Red Bull need to have a word with with Max about 
this competitive spirit, which obviously will serve him very well, needs to be toned down in, as you say, in his defence. Um, and he needs to get some solid results inside him. Next event? Uh, Barcelona. Barcelona. So what you've had So Mercedes win at Barcelona, don't well, they? They seem to be more confident. But we've had three fabulous races mm-hmm. after one not good race. We're yep. going to get two very poor races as far as overtaking is concerned because we go Barcelona and Monaco. Yeah. And everyone's going to think the world's fallen on its head again, TM. Yep. But of course, they've already, it's already sold for next year now. Yes. Well, well tell me about this. This was a, a new edict earlier on. Well, this was this a week. real shoehorned in sort of thing which we saw yesterday morning. Or I think, well, yes, yesterday morning, Tuesday morning, uh, come in. But they're going to have to change some of the aero regs for um, next as next season, and you can only do that. Uh, your deadline is the thirtieth of uh, April. But after that, it needs to be unanimous from the teams. Now, thirtieth April, it's a combination of the FIA, F1, and the promoters and some sponsors and the teams, and it's like a quorum of those. So the teams okay. only have a very small space, and you only probably need four teams to agree. And so six teams could say no, and it would still come through. And what they've agreed is to change the front wing, yep. um, probably to remove, the, reduce from 127 elements down to about seven. Also reduce the um, complexity of the front brake ducts as well. So I've fe- read a bit into this. It seems to me that they are managing the air in a slightly different way. Yeah, they're wing. trying to reduce the amount of understeer you get following a car. Right. It won't go away. They're just trying to reduce it. Right. Um, you're always going to be in dirty air. But they're, just, what they're also, sorry, is they're also increasing the size of the rear wing, so DRS will be even more effective. Can I, can I just say, just watch F2. They could drive behind each other. Well, that's a car that was built for overtaking. Well, that's, well yeah. No, all right, it's a spec car. Yeah, and also, remember, that the, 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 as part of the rules that came in last year to make the car six seconds a lap quicker, which didn't actually work, they had a huge amount of freedom thrown into the aero side, which is mm. why you've got these... 712 element uh, barge boards but the idea is that this will reduce the amount of uh, downforce generated by the wing therefore the amount of downforce lost when you're following someone so therefore you'll be able to work a little bit quicker a little bit closer sorry and therefore the DRS aren't interesting DRS will work better yeah. and particularly places like Barcelona it'll work really well it won't make a blind bit difference in Monaco because you can have no downforce in Monaco as long as someone can yeah. drive on the track uh, Indeed Nick Damon is with us and will stay with us to the end of tonight's show but we've got to squeeze in a little bit of WEC and for that let's here from our uh, lead commentator for the WEC for 2018 stroke 19 and say hello to Jonathan Palmer. Hi Johnny. Good evening John, are you well? I am very well, um, I, I think I am anyway. I'll, I'll tell you later when I find out, I've, I've been on so many different time zones uh, recently. <laughs> um, that's something that you're going to have to get used to in this 2018-2019 uh, season, this transition uh, season, that obviously the big one of the big talking points but really pushed into the background by some of the names who were joining the championship. More Formula One drivers, current or past, than I think we've ever seen before. Uh, we, not this weekend, but for the rest of the season, going to see Jensen Button. And, of course, the big announcement uh, at the end of uh, last year was, or that we expected, the end of last year and was confirmed uh, at the start of this year, uh, is Fernando Alonso. Um, that that's going to make a big difference, but I mean, really, the headline this weekend is thirty-seven cars. I know it's tremendous, isn't it? And it's it has been quite a wait for fans because I mean, the idea of the season taking this transition period and switching from summer to winter, I think, was announced September last year. Mm. So you know, it's been a while. Normally, we're around in to the championship Correct. by this point because we have Silverstone in in April. That's now moved to an August date. So no more snow to look forward to, folks. You can't say that. You can't say that <laughs> definitively. It's Silverstone. No. It is Silverstone. That's- 
That is very true. Uh, so we'll wait and see for that. But as you say, I mean, with no more Audi, with no more Porsche, we had all these superb platinum sports car drivers then looking for work, effectively. And I know some of them have filtered through to things like Formula E and they found other opportunities here, there and everywhere. But they were going to also find chances in uh, the new LMP1 teams. So the non-hybrid teams, I know uh, Alonso now established and has been for a while with Toyota Gazoo Racing. Those are the only two hybrids in the entry. But yeah, excited about the announcement just the other day that Jensen's going to be part of it. I know he's uh, doing Super GT uh, this uh, this week, in fact. The race is Friday of this week, so can't make Spa. But after that, green light for the rest of the season. Um, and Le Mans is just looking incredible, isn't it? I mean, yeah, yes, we've got Spa first of all this weekend, but then Le Mans just bonkers. Very, very short run in because of the fact that Spa is the only warm-up race uh, before uh, Le Mans. But the entry list actually, in a way, mirrors what we'll see at Le Mans this year. It will be a direct split uh, exactly on the field between GTs and prototypes. Uh, we've got pretty much the same here. I think it's uh, 19 and 18 uh, in the favour of, of GTs, which is where we'll start. We're not going to do a full uh, preview with Johnny here because uh, Johnny and Graham Goodwin uh, will be talking about that later on this week uh, sometime. Um, new cars for a, a lot of the uh, pro teams, uh, in, including the brand new BMW. We've seen it race in the stage, Johnny, but the M8 GTE, Martin Tomczyk, Nicky Katzberg in the 81 and 82. It's Tom Blomqvist and Antonio Felix de Costa. I, I mean, this is the first time, by the way, Nicky Katzberg, only a, only a gold driver, uh, extraordinarily. <laughs> um this is the first time we're going to see this in competition in, in Europe. This is the first time the ACO and the FIWEC will have the chance to get some of their BOP uh, data uh, on that car. Are we are we going to see a bit of uh, sandbagging from some of these cars and teams early on, particularly BMW? <sighs> I never really like that word, but I suppose with the big race just uh, over a month away, as in Le Mans, and as you say, this is the the chance for teams to get to grips with certain levels of downforce as well. We've seen lots of extra entries for a spa in May, mm. bearing in mind Le Mans. So, you know, the focus, yes, OK, scoring points and scoring points well on a season that spans a year and a half, but the focus is definitely on the start yeah. and they don't want to, let their cover be blown this early on in the season so i think yeah it's very it's going to be very difficult to read and also if you're the aco trying to accumulate oh, data man. for balance of performance you know how do you do you, is this real stuff or not it's very difficult uh, uh, three uh, uh, two brand new cars for the manufacturers the other one being the aston martin one fairly heavily revised, being the Ferrari 488 GTE Evo. And we'll, we'll talk about Aston Martin as well. Mark, uh, Marco Sorensen, Nicky Team, Darren Turner, Alex Lynn, Maxime Martin, Belgian on home soil, and Johnny Adam uh, from the UK. Uh, it's not as if those guys haven't been busy. I mean, the Aston Martin drivers have been out every week. I think I saw them in an arrive-and-drive kart race at Daytona down the road uh, last <laughs> weekend, as well as doing everything else they were doing. Certainly some of them were at Rockingham for British GT. It has allowed Aston Martin to get their works drivers out, so it's not as if these guys are coming in ring rusty. 
No, certainly not. And, and I'm actually really looking forward to how the guys in the 97 get on because uh, I've always considered Johnny Adams to be a relatively young man, but he's now got two new teammates as he continues to get older. And Lamont winner, of course, Johnny Adams. But Maxime Martin coming to Aston Martin after five years of being a BMW driver. So used to front-engine cars. Um, and I think he could be a bit of a superstar this year. He's he's raced the GT3 uh, two separate occasions now in, in British GT anyway. And Alex Lynn uh, announcing he'd be the Aston Martin new driver, uh, I think back end of last year, and has been you know putting plenty of miles in behind the wheel of the Vantage, which looks great. I, yeah. Unfortunately, I still haven't seen it in the flesh. Oh, have uh, you not? No, just missed the opportunity at Ricard ah. uh, because the uh, prologue was the other side of the weekend ah, that right. I arrived. But um, the paint job looks spectacular. And uh, I mean... Marco Sorensen, Nicky Team, Darren Turner, you know, they are Aston Martin through and through. So they might have a slight advantage over the new boys, but it's going to be an interesting battle, inter-team battle, if you like, throughout the season. In the GT arm, GT arm I'm, I'm, I'm having to gloss over because we haven't got, a, a, we've had a pack programme already tonight and I'm not sure how we're going to get everything into this second hour either. Um, and as I say, Graham and Johnny will be talking in a little more detail uh, towards the weekend before. It is Friday, Saturday, by the way, practice and qualifying on Friday, Saturday race as ever at, at spot. Uh, for the first time, we've got the new RSR in GTE arm, the Proton uh, guys uh, particularly vociferous about making sure that they got the cars that they wanted. Paul Dallalana, Pedro Lamy and Matthias Lauda coming out in a new Vantage for the first... Uh, no, no, they can't have the new Vantage, of course, because that's a, a brand new car for, for this mm. year. Sorry, so it's just the Porsche uh, teams who've got the new car being a, a year old. That might just reset the balance in, in GTE, um, Johnny. Porsche looks very strong, the new mm. Porsche, I mean, because having covered the first European Le Mans series race where we did have the Porsche with the reversed engine and gearbox, um, that looked dominant, although it was a Ferrari that eventually yes. won um, in Ricard, but in qualifying, uh, all about the brand new Porsche. Unfortunately, Dempsey Proton a little bit on the back foot, and I need to um, have a chat to, to Graham later on in the week, as you mentioned, about which chassis are actually where now, because mm. one was effectively written off, sadly, by Joel Comathius uh, during a practice session at Ricard, and thank goodness it was the World Endurance Championship prologue at Ricard that same week, because they had the spare car there to use then ah. in the ELMS, but... Um, that's put a you know the cat amongst the pigeons a little bit, and uh, they've therefore had to do a bit of replanning. But the car will be at Spa, no doubt. Um, so you got yeah Matt Campbell, who's a superstar in in um, one mate Porsche Cup racing at least with Christian Reed, who's I think still one of only three drivers that done every single World Endurance Championship race since it started in 2012, uh, and Julian Andlauer. And then you got Khalid Alcabaizi, Matteo Cairoli, and Giorgio Roda, and that looks again a great GT. E, uh, AM team. Mm. Remember, it's one pro. Um, I, well, you've got to have one bronze, one silver and bronze, and then your final choice is free. So they all yeah. tend to go with the superstars. Yeah. Uh, and Matt Griffin uh, with Keith Sawa and uh, Mokwen Sung as well for Clearwater uh, Racing. Are they a full season entry in the WEC? Or are I, they just they... coming before Lemons? That's a good question. They did it. Uh, they did clear, the Clearwater, I'm sure, were in the WEC in the past for a yeah. full season. So, yeah, I, I, okay. I assume so, but we wait and see. Well, that's great news for for, uh, for Matt, of course. Uh, LMP2 ranks uh, much reduced from what we've seen in the past, only uh, eight cars. But the eight cars are eight cars of quality. They include a lot of the uh, usual suspects, G-Drive, uh, TDS, 
Racing Team Netherlands. Uh, this is an interesting one. Jan Lammers, uh, who is 126 years old. Uh, this I think nice. right. Yeah. He's, he's not, actually. Uh, Guido <laughs> van der Garde and Fritz van Eert, uh, an all-Netherlands uh, driving crew uh, with the Delara Gibson, uh, w- with Michelin tyres, one of uh, three cars on Michelin against the, uh, the Dunlops. We've got a proper tyre war in P2 again with a spread of teams. Uh, with a spread of chassis, uh, there's mm. there's one of each of all the chassis on Michelin's, which is quite interesting. It is, and obviously we don't have the variety as far as engines are concerned now, and just the, the choice of four different chassis. So it is nice to have two different tyre manufacturers uh, involved, and I found that at Ricard as well. TDS, who were in action um, in the south of France for an extra race because they were on site as well, mm. um, and again, all eyes on Le Mans for the French squad. So Loic Duval, and then again, an, an LMP1 driver, refugee effectively, former Audi driver, yes. but now firmly in the LMP2 ranks. Le- Racing Team Nederland making the step up from ELMS to the WEC from last year. And Dragon Speed, uh, likewise. And I noticed Anthony Davidson on the, on the provisional list for later on in the year. Yes. There's no seat for him at Toyota this year, although I think he's still very much part of the team there. Um, and Lara Competition, I don't think they've run a prototype in their past always been in gts things things like uh, i mean i'm sure graham will put me right on that but i remember chevy corvettes recently and porsches too but certainly if they have raced prototypes in the past their experience is limited they've got a couple of drivers from the uh, lmp3 category from last year owen creed and romano ritchie so It'll be fascinating to watch those guys make the step up to, to much faster machinery. Um, Labra Competition are listing Fernando Reese in their car as a gold driver, uh, as Canada. Now, I presume that's the Fernando Reese who uh, used to drive Aston Martin and, in fact, um, was born in Sao Paulo in 1985. Oh, yeah. I thought he was Brazilian too, mm. so that's interesting. Uh, it may be he's running on a Canadian license, but I, I, I honestly don't know. That's just that would just caught my eye. Uh, the thing about LMP2, Johnny, and I think you're going to enjoy uh, that part of the race if we if we get to see it, um, is that pretty much anybody there can be on the podium. In fact, anybody can be on the podium with only eight cars. But certainly, I would say pretty much all of those cars have got half a chance of doing better than that. There's clearly some favourites. There's some names we've seen there before. Pastor Maldonado is in there. Nat Burton, Roberto Gonzalez. That looks strong, the Dragon Speed car. But really, it, it could come down to tactics. And we've seen this before. Changing pit stop rules, of course, with uh, fueling and tyres being done at the same time. That might take a bit of getting used to for, for everyone. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I do think P2 is still going to be immensely competitive. Oh, no doubt about that. And I think, you know, the narrowing of, of the choice of the spectrum, I suppose, has actually increased the class's competitiveness. And we found this in the ELMS. We found it at Le Mans last year. And I think somebody called it like GP2, effectively, but with prototypes because <laughs> the machinery is very, very similar. Um, but you've, you've got talent from, from different aspects of motorsport finding prototype racing very attractive all of a sudden because because it is such a level playing field uh, you've also no longer got the dominance theoretically of the orica 07 because uh, th- there's been this joker system which has brought the delara and the ligier back on a level sphere yeah. for uh, 
uh, you know, a level sphere, a level playing field uh, with the, the slightly more developed Orica Row 7. So there has been this need for a balance of performance effectively. It's pegging the Orica back, to my knowledge. And uh, like you say, really tricky to predict, therefore, going into the first weekend. Sorry about that interruption there. I uh, wasn't expecting that. I was just looking for a timetable. Um, so, the, so you'd never leave me in charge of a show. Could, everything could, uh, could go terribly wrong. Um, the, if we've lost a few P2 teams, it's because some of them have stepped up into P1. I'm yeah. not sure that's what the ACO and the WEC quite wanted to see quite so many step up. But what we've got now is a plethora of privateer P1 cars. Everybody sort of raised an eyebrow when first Audi and then last year Porsche decided that they would step away for political reasons. Um, just two of the ten or P1s, yes, ten P1s. I mean, we haven't had ten P1s. Have we ever had 10 P1s in WEC? I'm not sh- not sure we have had it. And, and these are pretty much all full season entries as well. We'll have 13 going uh, to Le Mans. All right, the Toyota Gazoo Racing highlights there. Fernando, Kazuki Nakajima, Seb Wemi, all Formula 1 drivers past or present in the 8 car. But look at who's going to be battling against them with Rebellion, two cars. The Bicolas racing team, for the moment, still just one of their Enso uh, CLMs. Two CEFC TRSM uh, Geneta G 60 LTP1 Mechachromes. That rolls off the trunk, tongue, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> those, those cars setting off uh, earlier this week from Garforth, and let's hope they uh, do get to the grid. I, I'm not going to say too much about that. There might be a story uh, coming uh, on that later on in the, in the week. Uh, and then three... BR Engineering Gibsons, one for Dragon Speed and two for SMP Racing. I, I mean, this is excitement because it's, a, it's another brand new formula. We had new formula last year, Johnny, with, with P2, and that kind of worked. Uh, there were a few gremlins earlier on but in the season, but it kind of worked. Here, this new private air formula, eight cars, different teams, different answers to the same question, and superstar driver lineups right throughout the field. Yeah, you and you can't argue with the personalities certainly, but I I mean I've always been interested in motorsport because of different shapes and sizes of yes, cars. Me too. And we've now got that in LMP1 because you look at the you say 10 cars, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, is it eight teams? Yeah. And I think seven or eight teams. And none of those teams have decided to go with the same chassis and engine combination. So you've got variety certainly there. Uh, there's a new Gibson four and a half liter V8. So it's different from obviously the LMP2 machine. It's the Nismo based uh, power plant for the Enso car by the by College Racing Team. Mecha Chrome, whose background is with Renault in single seaters, mm. and it's still the engine supplier to, to GP2, or rather Formula 2 cars now. So, how will that uh, engine go? I wonder. It's turbocharged, it's a V6. Toyota's. Uh, um, Hybrid is retained, and those cars look great. They've been revised over the winter period, but only two hybrids now um, in a non-hybrid dominated class. And the BR Engineering BR1, which is a development of the BR01 um, that ran in LMP2 a couple of seasons back, but that looks spectacular as well. Uh, Dragon Speed deciding to go with one of those cars, again with a strong driving lineup, bringing their 
their businessman, their non-pro Henrik Hedman. So let's see how he gets on in the step up to LMP1. And then the AER-powered SMP cars with, I mean, two superstars as far as I'm concerned, despite being uh, tutored by Warren Hughes, um, Matthew Vosizakian <laughs> and Yegor Rudchev. Uh, and how they understand how he talks. Uh, I've I know. No, because I can't understand him, and he only comes from 10 miles up the road. For me, Their I- English pronunciation is bang on. As for Warren... No comment. Uh, and the the key thing about those three different BR, uh, the three BR Engineer and BR One cars is uh, the the Dragon Speed car's got the Gibson engine, and as Johnny rightly points out, the AER is in the back of the SMP. So this is variety being the spice of the WEC. Um, I I would expect Toyota to get pole. I really would. But honestly, for the race, you'd expect Toyota to win it. But I don't think it's a done deal, Johnny. No, I don't think it is. Um, you know, that the whole point of running a race for six hours is that it adds that unpredictable nature to it. And lots of teams, you know, have done plenty of work and distance running, I'm sure, over the winter period. But somehow things change somewhat going into a race. And you've also got to get the whole of the field through uh, the right-hander at the start of the lap as well. Correct. And also through Eau Rouge. Um, and who knows what's going to happen at the end of lap one or two because carnage can ensue and that might throw plenty of teams off kilter. We're going to get, I think, different strategies too. As yes. you say, the pit, pit stop changes as something to take into account. They're going to be quicker, but uh, have the teams got their choreography right after being used to having to do things separately, fuel the car separately, mm, and then the tyres and driver change. So... Um, I mean, we've, we've, it feels like we've waited for this season to get started for several years. It's not quite been, but certainly been a good six months. And um, I'm really excited about it, and mainly because I don't know, I haven't got a clue what's going to happen. Well, you, you, you said one of the things you like is variety, also unpredictability. Uh, when you get a new formula and anything, that always throws things around it. Plenty of new cars, new drivers, uncertainty and variety are plenty. Johnny Palmer uh, will be heading our coverage from Spa, qualifying on Friday, Saturday for the six-hour race that opens the 2018-2019 FIA World Endurance Champ. Championship over an RS3. Cheers, mate. Have a lovely weekend. Thank you, and you. And that's just about it for this evening, except the Managing Director of Radio Show Limited is with me now. Hello to Eve Hewitt. Good, good evening, e- Eve. Good evening, good evening. And what's the big announcement? Uh, the big announcement is that we will once again be collaborating with ExxonMobil and Mobile One at Le Mans. So we will still have them on board and we'll be doing some new things with them and some new fan interaction so stuff. So Mobile One, Radio Le Mans. Yes, XXX FM. Correct. For 2018. Absolutely right. Excellent. I'm very happy. And when will we know who's going to be the team? Shortly? Oh, very soon, yes. Because we're not that far away from test, are we? And Please. we're still the only people who, who, do, who do test live. We are. Yeah, 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 we are. Yeah, the team, the team will be published shortly. Okay, uh, thank you very much, Eve. Short and sweet. Uh, watch out for some more information uh, on that uh, spa at the weekend. Just heard Johnny talking about that. Uh, Nick, uh, an exciting season. We'll just finish off an exciting yeah. season, an exciting weekend. IMSA plus the WEC both live. RS two, IMSA Radio RS three for the WEC. And it will be. Fernando Alonso's best ever WEC drive this weekend. Do you think so? Yeah. Okay. His first one is his best one. It will be his best one. Uh, uh, there's no time to explain. Uh, the Llama is spoiled for choice this weekend. <laughs> Check www.radiolamon.com. The 
the uh, schedules are on the bottom of the front page and they will auto-convert to whatever time your browser is set to. Thanks to everybody, particularly to Brabham Automotive and David Brabham. Uh, they were very kind in getting uh, us that exclusive content at the start of the show. And to David Pettit uh, from IMSA for giving us of his time. Nick Damon, Johnny Palmer, Shea Adam and the responsible adult. I'm John Hindoff. Next week, Tim Gray will be back. We'll see you then. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.